This is Sit and Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Boy, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Back here in Washington, President Biden is calling on Republicans to put the interest of the American people ahead of politics to support the Senate's bipartisan immigration deal, which appears to be falling apart. The House failed in its attempt to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas over the border crisis. More than a thousand miles from the southern border where thousands more migrants sought to cross on Monday, House Republicans tried but failed to remove Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas from office. Literally his job is to secure the homeland. And he's refusing to do it. They accused Mayorkas of failing to enforce immigration law and breaching the nation's trust. Is this really a high crime or misdemeanor? Well, I think, well, number one, I think I'm sick and tired of his lying. Democrats blasted the vote as an election year political ploy over a policy dispute to please Donald Trump. I would say it's a clown show, but that would be a disservice to actual working clowns. The impeachment would have stood no chance in the Democratic-controlled Senate, which would have blocked holding a trial, but it further inflamed a gridlock Congress. What the hell just happened? On the same day, a bipartisan bill to tighten border security and fund Ukraine was collapsing. The $118 billion plan limits who qualifies for asylum, hires more border agents, and allows the administration to nearly shutter the border when migrant crossings spike. Despite an endorsement from a National Border Patrol union, the bill, filled with Republican priorities, hemorrhaged Republican support. President Biden said Republicans were caving to appease the former president. It's time for Republicans in the Congress to show a little courage, to show a little spine. Well, now to the latest on that brutal attack against two NYPD officers. One of the suspects has now been indicted by a grand jury. This comes amid a report that some of the other suspects have been arrested in Arizona. That report coming from Fox News, which says that, quote, several men believed to be migrants who were arrested, then fled New York City, were apprehended at a bus station in Phoenix. Uh, no comment this time. The attorney for Yohenry Brito not saying much. Brito is right now the only suspect to be arrested and held on bail in connection to the assault on two police officers. He was in court in connection to two prior misdemeanor charges. He's also now the only one to be indicted by the Manhattan Grand Jury, at least so far. The district attorneys may be bringing new charges, but it's frustrating. It never should have happened. Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg presented evidence to that grand jury, which could also lead to new charges for any number of the about a dozen other migrants police say took part in that January 27th attack in Times Square. And according to Fox News, several men, reportedly suspects, were arrested Monday evening in Phoenix, Arizona. Over in the Middle East. Uh, meantime, Israeli intelligence says a fifth of the hostages being held by Hamas in Gaza are dead. That's at least 30 of the remaining 136 hostages being held by the terrorist group. President Biden asked about the state of negotiations. There's been a response from the opposition, but um, it, it, yes, I'm sorry, from Hamas, but it seems to be... Uh, a little over the top. We're not sure where it is. There's a continuing negotiation right now. On October 7th and now, you see the closest ever to the destruction of the state of Israel and all those ancestral holy sites. 
that the Jewish people in Israel are protecting. They're all subject to being destroyed like the Taliban destroyed all the sites in Afghanistan. The Buddhist sites, thousands of years old. Do we want all these things destroyed? Why should our faith be pushed out of the Middle East? When I got traded here, it, it, it did feel like home. It felt like it was where I was supposed to be. Um, all those names you mentioned, you know, obviously my dad played with Greece, played with Aylin. Bobby T was the running back coach when he was there. Um, played for Mike. You know, Kyle was in the building all the time. It's just the whole thing is like the second generation of all of those uh, teams that my dad was on. And so it definitely feels like home for me. I know I'm blessed to be around a lot of great players around me. Um, and so right now it's doing whatever I can to beat a great 49ers team and trying to get that third ring. And then if you ask me that question in like 15 years, and I'll see if I can get close to seven. But seven seems like a long ways away still. I don't want to look back at my career and say I regret how I went out there and performed every single day. If that's working out, if that's watching film, whatever it is. Um, and if I give everything I have, I can be satisfied with the results. And that's what drives me every single day. Hey, Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. Remember to let her into your heart. Then you can start to make it better. Hey, Jude, don't be afraid. You were made to. You know, when they do the greatest rock and roll songs of all time every year, they used to do it all the time on 
WNEW when it was um, classic rock before Q104. This specific Beatles song, Hey Jude, always finished second to Stairway to Heaven. That was just, yeah, always. <laughs> always. Stairway to Heaven won Hey Jude 2. Give me some more of this. This is the Beatles, Hey Jude. There's a reason why we're playing this today. Come on, Louie! All right, folks, welcome back to the Harry Harrison Beatles Breakfast. Eddie's Kazari, favorite show here on WNEW-FM. Oh, cool. Play, play the Hollies. <laughs> so, there is uh, some significance before we get to all that stuff in the open, which includes what MSNBC is describing this morning as an embarrassing day for Mike Johnson and the House. The Biden stuff, Hamas, Israel, a great, great little narrative there from Mark Levin, and you heard from two big stars playing in this Sunday's Super Bowl, Christian McCaffrey from San Francisco and Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes. But the reason why we started with Hey Jude this morning, Lou Ruffino, is why? The day the Beatles arrived in New York at Kennedy Airport. How huge was that? Pretty big. Friday, I think that was a Friday. And they appeared two days later on Ed Sullivan. That was the big on the one. Night. Yes. The great uh, Topo Jeju. That's a crazy There's a crazy story to that song. How many actually... people were at uh, Kennedy Airport when the Beatles landed that day? <laughs> no, I mean, wasn't it like packed with Beatles fans when they did land from Liverpool? Or no? Yeah, it was a, no, it was a big event. Yeah. It was a big event because everybody was waiting. Yeah. For, uh, that was from what I was reading. So and what was, uh, what was uh, the story behind that song? Paul... Major? actually wrote it it was a the pre the pre thing was called hey jules it was written uh, almost for julian lennon julian lennon johnson johnson who wrote that uh, and performed that great song valet yes. i may be the only person in america who's got valet on my i was about to say ipod but my phone i think uh, it's valat too i think oh that's well, thank you very much yeah. i think that's yeah. how you're probably right i don't know but i've got <laughs> okay. the song but you have the song yeah. so you beat me yeah it's it was right around when john was leaving his first wife cynthia okay right before yoko right and because he was having an affair with he was starting an affair with yoko oh and so it was a rough time so he kind of was writing that for mm. john's son to console him Actually, about so it's kind of about that. Like there, there'll be good times and bad times about the song. Like you'll find goodness uh, after this. Something to do with that. So it was something. It was towards Julian. Yeah. Julian. Jules. You know, I was having this uh, long Beatles discussion with my wife Danielle a couple of days ago. She grew up in uh, in a household. Her stepfather Peter, who to this day lives in Charlotte, North Carolina, and her late mom who was killed when my wife was just eight years old, Carol, they were, uh, that was the Woodstock era, you know. And everybody loved the Beatles back then, but um, I guess her parents didn't. So she never grew up in a household where they played the Beatles. You know, they played the records back then, Fleetwood Mac, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, the Allman Brothers, but not a big Beatles deal. And I love the Beatles. I believe it all began with the Beatles. I don't care how many chords. If I hear that one more time, the least 
difficult song to play or the Beatles song. They're all one chord. I'm not a musician. I don't know what that means. I just know that almost every song they did was great. But she said to me the other day, she goes, you know what, I'll tell you something else. This was in Israel. She goes, you love the Beatles. Because let me ask you this, Sydney. If you had a guess, just take a guess. We don't know the answer. He's long dead, thanks to Mark David Chapman. But if you had to guess what John Lennon would say about this Israel-Hamas war today, what do you think he would say? And I said, oh, my God, you're right. He would definitely be sensitive to the Palestinians. Well, he'd say peace. Peace, right. Of course. And I'd want to punch him across his face. Yeah. I'd want to punch him across the face. There's musicians right now who are in an organization that are called Ceasefire no. Uh, called uh, artists for ceasefire. Right. Who are now. some of these assholes? I, I, I have to. I have to. I heard one yesterday on the radio. It was. Yeah. It was. I think it was uh, somebody who sang uh, the, uh, the Sinead O'Connor. Nothing compares uh, to Annie you. Lennox. Actually, you said ceasefire at the end of her performance. But who at said the Grammys. this? Annie Lennox. Annie Lennox. Annie Lennox. Yeah, she, she was on the Grammys. She still sings. She did a. a she did a tribute on the Grammys oh, to please. the. Dead Annie singers. Lennox. For when sure, was the last yes. time your rhythmics had a big song, please? <laughs> Annie probably. Lennox. I mean, the Grammys, I don't know how they got 17 million viewers. Annie Lennox and Tracy Chapman. And I liked Annie, and, and the rhythmics were okay, but two basically irrelevant people in the great musical history that we have uh, that we have in this country. Well, any, music, any musician, that's all they're driven by is no killing. There's not, they're not deciphering no, I who started that. something yeah, yeah. and where it's coming from and who's a terrorist and who's not. I understand. Musicians are yeah. all about, oh, my God, stop the killing. Stop, stop the, the killing. violence. Yeah. That's it. That's what they – there was 3,000 people at Kennedy that day, by 3, the 3,000. That greeted – imagine yeah. that greeting a yeah. rock band. So, you know, the uh, Hamas now is proposing a three-stage ceasefire deal, talking about no killing and these stupid musicians. And I want to get to know them in a second. I'm going to tell you this. There's a report that came out this morning, NBC, that Israel believes that at least one-fifth of the 136 hostages are dead. That number is 31. I got news for you. Not even close. Half are dead. More than half. But to be conservative and not to break these people's hearts, they're claiming today that at least 31 of the 136 people are dead. So... I'm not going to out this person, but I sent a friend of mine in Israel a message this morning saying, you know, they they say 31 are dead. And the person said to me, and I quote, as insensitive as this is going to sound, I'm okay with it. He said, because as long as these hostages are alive, Hamas will continue to blackmail Israel. Once these hostages are gone, home or gone, either way, Israel can go out and kill all the bad guys and not worry about it. He says as long as this hostage talk is going on, it is A, hindering Israel from doing what they need to do, which is wipe out these bastards, and B, making Israel look bad. Again, sounds insensitive. I sat down with Rachel Goldberg for 30 minutes last week, but the truth is, if you're pro-Israel, And it's not one of your relatives being held in a tunnel. That person made a heck of a lot of sense because Hamas did this from the beginning, took these hostages as a way to blackmail Israel. And when that's over, Hamas is over. Does that not make sense, Noam? 
the only issue is, in the past, Israelis have gone to the end of the earth to bring home, uh, you know, hostages They've that have done been kidnapped. It here. This is four. This is going on four months. I understand, but I'm just saying, soldiers that have been held captive for years, they've uh, worked to get them home, and they, and in some cases, they were able to. But this is different. This is the worst war. This is basically what Mark Levin said in the open this morning is true. The future of Israel is in more doubt today than ever. This is different than taking soldiers hostage and working out some type of negotiation between what's going on in the south, what's going on in Judea and Samaria, and what's about to come to the north. Israel could be wiped out in six months. It's not the same. They need to go out there and eradicate all these bad guys. And if it means a 100 lives, I know it's not my kid, but you got to do it. Yeah, it's I, not the same. I think it's simpler said. The hostage families have enormous political clout in Israel No, today. they don't. No, they don't. They stand in Tel Aviv and Hostage Square. They yell and scream yeah. at Bibi and nobody cares. They're, no, they have enormous amount of sympathy. They do from the, no, from they, the Israeli public. I was public. just there. Right. Uh, they, have, they have sympathy because people are good people. They don't want hostages to die. Right. But there wasn't one Israeli who said to me the hostages are more important than wiping out Hamas. Not one. Not one. And you can't have them both. The reason why Hamas took these hostages was to basically strangle Israel. And that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. So, yes, I want Hirsch Goldberg home. I want Noah home. I want all these beautiful people home. But they're do- they did this, and they're getting the exact result they wanted. We're talking about hostages every day, while the South, the Central, the North, it's about to go away. Israel's future, this is no joke, no. This is the most dangerous time, I believe, in the history of Israel. And about 80 people right now are really hanging Israel in the balance. 80. How does that make any sense? Well, the Israeli war cabinet continues to still put forward these proposals to get the hostages released. I mean, they have correct. Given up. That was my point two moments ago. They're still working at it, which shows you that they have heart and they care about these people. But we cannot lose. We cannot lose vision. Well, I should say at least uh, what the vision is, which is you can't allow Hamas to strangle Israel over eighty people when the future of this country is in serious question. Why is that so hard to understand? It would be nice to get the hostages out and win the war. I'm not sure that's possible. So what's more important, 80 hostages or the future of the country? You tell me. No doubt. I'm just saying what the Benjamin Netanyahu is up against and what he has to yeah, think here's about. Here's what he's up he's... against. He's up against people in the streets, like you said, protesting in Tel Aviv, which is not fair. He's up against an American government, which has double talked him from day one, this son of a bitch, Joe Biden. He's up against about seven or eight other countries in and around Israel in the Middle East that want to blow Israel to smithereens. He's up against Europe, places like Germany, France, and London, who don't care about him either. That's what he's up against. Tired of hearing what he's up against. The whole world hates Israel. And the American government has been an absolute sham. That's what he's up against. He's trying to eradicate a bunch, not one, not just Hamas, a bunch of terrorist groups trying to stop them from destroying his country. And he's got to worry every day that he may upset some parent in Haifa. Come on, man. He's in an impossible situation. Impossible. Yeah, no doubt it's an impossible situation. But 
he has to think about all these things when he he's making these about plans. It, 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 you just said today, is Anthony Blinken, this asshole, not there right now talking to Netanyahu? Yeah. Do you think Bibi wants to talk to Anthony Blinken? Don't know. No, the answer is no, he doesn't. Okay, he doesn't. But he's doing it because he's trying to find a way to make this work. And all these attacks leveled at Bibi are just ridiculous. Yes, did they blow it on October the 7th, 100%. Is he going to lose his job because of it? In all likelihood, yes. I get it, okay? But once this war started, you got to be with Bibi 100%. If you care about the future of Israel, you need to be with Bibi 100%. All the critics and all the nonsense in and around Bibi Netanyahu is just not right. You can't, it can't be both. Does that make sense? No one knows. It does. I'm just, I, I was just pointing out the fact that this is what he's facing. And he has this new proposal from Hamas that's kind of a non-starter. That would be releasing these hostages over a four-month period, which yeah. is ridiculous. But what is the, what are the exact specifics of it? Thank so you in the uh, first stage, the uh, terror group would release all uh, women hostages, anybody under 19, the elderly and sick. Israel would have to release more women and minor security prisoners. The second stage would be the remaining male hostages and the bodies of those who did not survive. And then the third stage would would be they'd have to agree to end the war in Gaza. Yeah. Well, look, again, I don't know how many of these hostages are still alive, but this is exactly what Hamas, this is why they did it. This is why they did it. They took all these hostages to try to handcuff Israel. And every day that we we stop firing or we stop bombing these bastards, we're playing right into their hands. This is exactly what they wanted. And uh, it's a difficult situation. Again, I sat with Rachel Goldberg, and I've got my own son. I don't know what I would do. But you know what? You can't, you can't make decisions for a country based on personal feelings. Right? I couldn't be president of the United States if I decided every move I make. Well, what if it was Gabriel? What if it was Ava? You can't do that. Right, but you got to make decisions for the greater good for the masses. No two ways about it. I don't. I don't disagree with you. But Sid Rosenberg, sitting as Sid Rosenberg, who's not a politician, who's just like Rachel Goldberg, you'd be out there fighting like Rachel Goldberg. Of course is. I would. But that's not Bibi's job. Bibi's job is to save Israel, and they're in trouble. I don't think America is doing a very good job of telling the real story. I'm the only guy doing it, me and Levin. That's it. You're going to see. I did an interview last night with a lady named Dory Lewak, who writes for the New York Post. It's going to come out on Sunday. It's going to be a huge story, pictures, and, uh, and of course, uh, my, my feelings on my trip to Israel and how the United States is doing in this effort. They're doing a bad job, man. The world is doing a bad job. Bibi's got to literally worry at this point about the future of Israel. There are 150,000 Hezbollah rockets pointed at Israel with precise precision. They can take out whatever they want. They can wipe out Jerusalem in 15 minutes. He's got to worry about that. And then you got people in, in, in Tel Aviv yelling about their kids. How's he supposed to win this war? How's he going to do it? Well, you could ask that question in 1945. You could have. That's it. Yeah. You, you, yeah when, we, when we dropped atomic bombs in right. Japan, were we worried about some of the women and children Twice. that may die that day? No. They didn't surrender. And so another bomb was dropped. The, the mentality that exists today would not have led to that. 
You think Donald okay. Trump, for example, you know, she asked me during this interview, and I'll, I'll let some of the cat out of the bag. Right. She said, do you think if Donald Trump was president, this would have happened? I said, no. I said, but I will tell you this, if it did happen, right, I only said no because he was president, Pat McEnroe, for four years, and nothing happened. I've got a resume there I can point to. What I did say was, if it did happen, here's what I can promise you. Donald Trump would not be pressuring BB to pause, ceasefires, none of that. Donald Trump would be encouraging BB Netanyahu and helping BB wipe these mother effers out. That's the difference. This pussy Biden, who couldn't give a rat's ass about Israel, is not a friend of Israel, has made bad moves every step of the way. Every step of the way. This has been a disaster for this administration. Any argument? No, I don't. I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I'm just saying uh, all this. I'm about to punch you across the face. (laughs) I'm going to treat you like the Arabs and the (laughs) illegals. Right now, there are three three groups of people in my crosshairs. Arabs, illegals, and Noah. Oh, nice. Okay. (laughs) Well, maybe Noam, you could take solace. Maybe you're the leader of that group. Right. (laughs) You know, even an enemy needs a leader. God. (laughs) Does this mean I don't get a bagel today? (laughs) It may just mean that. Yes. <laughs> we'll start with that. Well, that's 27 minutes of the best radio you're ever going to hear. And it's not even 6.30 in the morning yet. I'm shaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we do have a big show coming up today. Noam, you were great. Thank you very much. Sure. More to cover next segment with Noam, including the latest in D.C. and more. Curtis Slee was going to be here today. He's always here. He's phenomenal. Brian Kilmeade, Joseph Tacopina, Peter King, Judge Janine Pirro, and more. Fasten your seatbelt, folks. This is going to be a doozy. It's Wednesday with Sid, only right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Even if Congress could concoct, concoct both houses of Congress and send to the President Sesford's signature the greatest border security measure that has ever been uh, designed, we have no faith that Secretary Mayorkas, of course, 
would enforce it. He doesn't enforce the laws that are on the books now. And that's why the executive authority and the use of it is so critically important and why the American people are counting on the president to do something. I know I got a bad reputation And it isn't just talk, talk, talk If I could only give you everything You know I haven't got I think uh, this artist is Freddie Johnston or something. Like Very good. Yes. Freddie Johnston. I do love this song, 635, on your Tuesday morning. That was Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House. I got to tell you, I was surprised that they shot down impeachment for Mayorkas, who is the epitome of dereliction of duty. I mean, there are so many people in politics today. I shouldn't say the epitome. Biden is that. Kamala Harris is that. Kathy Hochul, I'll get to her later. All of a sudden, Kathy Hochul, oh, she cares about crime in the city. She cares about the illegals. She's yelling at Alvin Bragg, hey, stupid, you're the only one that can fire him. You could have fired him ten times already, dating back to the Jose Alba situation. Fire him. Don't tell me that you're mad at Alvin Bragg. Fire him. But she won't do it because Donald Trump's case is in New York City, and that's all she cares about. Her, Letitia James, all these losers. They're all derelict of duty, every one of them. But um, I was surprised. I knew the Senate would shoot it down, the Democrat Senate, but I thought it would make it through the House. Were you surprised, No, I was, but, you know, think about the margin is so narrow that Republicans sort of barely have control of the House. And so last night there were a couple people who were sick who weren't going to be there, and that and so that margin narrowed even further. And then you had three Republicans who voted against impeachment last night. Do we know night. who they were? Yeah, uh, Ken Buck of Colorado. He's such a jerk-off, he makes my hair hurt and I'm bald. Uh, Tom McClintock, he's from California. Yeah. And Mike Gallagher, he's from you know, Wisconsin. I don't know exactly who these people are. All horrible people. All Democrats dressed as Republicans. <laughs> oh, God, they make me sick. This uh, stupid Senate bill for $118 billion which is not going to make it. It's just basically one big amnesty bill. I know that Biden and the Democrats, all Republicans, they wanted this bill. Now we gave it to them, and now it's still not good enough. He gave us nothing. This bill is horrendous. It's got no chance, right, No, No chance at all. And you have Republicans who are saying, what's going on with Mitch McConnell? How could he approve this bill? He's got to go, too. He, he's, yeah. uh, all those uh, Republicans you just mentioned, Buck and Gallagher, Mitch McConnell is the worst of all of them. I mean, we got would have read of, what was his name? The guy from Wisconsin, Paul Ryan, got rid of him years ago. Remember when uh, Trump won, it was Ryan and McConnell that were trying to stab the president in the back almost every day. How McConnell has stuck around this long, I have no idea. He's got to go, Noam. 
Yeah, well, you could name a list of people who should probably not be there anymore, have been there too long, True. and his name would be up there, no doubt. All right, it is uh, Wednesday morning, and what that means, Noam, as we get ready for a great guest list, five great guests today, so much to discuss. We do the Tunnel to Towers weekly update every Wednesday. My dear friend, the CEO, Frank Siller, what a terrific guy. Frank Siller and his team at the foundation are hard at work assisting first responder families all over the U.S. Play it, Lou. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation promises to do good and never forget. For over 20 years, they've been committed to supporting America's heroes. That's why when a first responder doesn't come home, the foundation helps the family they leave behind. Families like that of Greensboro, North Carolina, Police Sergeant Dale Nix. Sergeant Nix, a 22-year veteran of the force, was off duty when he was tragically shot and killed while trying to stop a theft at a local gas station back on December the 30th. He had come from a family of dedicated public servants, and he left behind his beautiful wife, Kelly, and their children. Within days, Tunnel to Towers informed the Knicks family they would pay off their mortgage, lifting that financial burden. Join the foundation on its mission to provide mortgage-free homes to heroes and their families they leave behind by donating just $11 per month at T2T.org. That's T, the number 2T.org. Please donate today. That's right, folks. Never forget, join the Tunnel to, Tunnel to Towers Foundation on its mission to do good in honor of America's heroes. Donate today. It's just $11 a month. That's less than a dollar a day. Cents a day, actually. Go to T, the number 2T.org. That's T, the number 2T.org. This is Sid on Sports. Sponsored by Fearless Boilers on 77 WABC. Justin Alec here with the bottom of the hour sports update. Sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com. You know, Noam said that you were yeah. genuinely mad there just now. When I was... <laughs> no, you were just tickling me. No, he was yeah. mad. No, you looked mad. Yeah, you actually... Yeah, you, you actually ran the risk there of me kicking your ass right in front of the rest of this crew. <laughs> that was a real moment of anger. Actually, I've never seen that. Yeah, there, you were really there, angry. There are certain people out there who would, you know, then get mad at you for getting aggravated at them for tickling you like you're a warrior. <laughs> yeah, this is part there's, of there's, uh, there's uh, a listen, select listen, few listen to me carefully. Yeah. Nobody loves you like me. I took it to Israel, Tim, but I feel like my son, okay? <laughs> it's part of the job, bitch. Oh, is it? <laughs> yes. I, I, Whatever yeah. I want to do to you, you just accept it. Oh. And you get paid every other Friday. <laughs> okay. Sounds like uh, some kind of hooker or something, actually. Isn't that what it's like? no. exact same thing. Yeah. Luckily, I can control my anger better than that, I think. <laughs> I think. You just take whatever yeah. I do to you. Oh, <laughs> uh, my God. Sports uh, sponsored by oh Pete Morgan God. and Phyllis Boilers. Go to PhyllisBoilers.com of oh to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best. But Boilers at the Garden Jail in Brunson had 27 and 8 assists before exiting with an apparent ankle injury. Dante Givincenzo had 32 points, and the New York Knicks hung on for a 123-113 to 113 win over the shorthanded Memphis Grizzlies last night on the hardwood in Brooklyn. The Nets fell to the visiting Dallas Mavericks by a score of 109-98, to and Kyrie Irving's return to the Barclays Center. On the ice of Newark, John Marino scored the go-ahead goal late in the third period, and Vitek Vanacek made 35 saves as the Devils beat the Colorado Avalanche 5-3 to last night. After an off day yesterday, the Rangers will return to the ice tonight at home, getting set to welcome in the Tampa Bay Lightning for a 7 p.m. puck drop. That is sports, sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTechless.com to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best built boilers. 
I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. If you've had an accident, trust Gabo Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabo Law has recovered millions for their clients and will be able to help you. But don't take our word for it. Read all of their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avvo, and Facebook. Call Gabo Law today at 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email at at info at GobbleLaw.com. Gobble Law, where winning is no accident. Boy, you're my best friend. Boy. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. For my friends. 77 WABC. We have to recycle this money back into our local economy because we're spending this money anyway. So how do we put it back into our local economy? They hire locally and they stay in the community. So these cars are going to go to bodegas, uh, grocery stores, supermarkets. Local businesses are going to benefit. Second, how do we save money? It made no sense delivering the food and then some of the food that we were delivering people didn't want. So here, here's your uh, uh, debit card with a dollar amount that is a lower uh, dollar amount, smarter way to do it. It's going to save $600,000 a month and $7.2 million a year, avoid food waste, and is focused on, on baby supplies and food. Photograph 651 now, New York City, Wednesday morning. I bid Brian Kilmeade lunch coming up later on today. He'll be here at 745. Then I got a big meeting in Rockaway tonight. We'll talk about that with Curtis. There's a, one more cut here from Adams talking about when you dig into the numbers, you're going to see this credit card policy shift, I guess, makes a whole bunch of sense. You may as well play it, Lewis. Eric Adams, cut number 12. So I know that on the first brush, you look at it and say, oh, wait a minute, what are you doing? You're getting people cars? But once you dig into the numbers and in the line, you'll see that this was a smart policy shift that we're doing on a pilot project with 500 people. If this is successful, we're going to expand it even more. Now, just because people don't like it doesn't mean it's not a good policy. Because, you know, listen, I, I, 
I have to be honest, I don't speak to a lot of Democrats. I don't speak to a lot of liberals. I just don't. Even my own sister, Alana, who I love dearly, we never talk politics because well, we're so apart on it. We're, you know, completely, uh, completely apart. So we never talk politics. So I don't talk to liberals and Democrats. I have no idea. So almost 100% of the people that I speak to, well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, I've got a, I've got a group of friends that I go to dinner with every month. In fact, uh, next Tuesday, I believe, is the next Keith Cantrowitz dinner. I love Keith. He's going to Vegas for the Super Bowl this weekend, and he's Mr. Power Express Mortgage, you know, him and Mariano Rivera. So we got our dinner coming up next week. Keith and uh, Big Mark Oranger, love him. Anthony Carone, adore him. Uh, Mike Kemper and, and all of us, you know. And some of those guys are not conservatives or Republicans by any means, but for the most part, I only speak to Republicans, conservatives. Same people, you know. And uh, they hate everything Biden does. They hate everything Hochul does. They hate everything Adams does. They just hate it. But again, it doesn't mean it's wrong, but that's all I hear is this credit card thing is another incentive for these illegals to come. And these illegals are not all good, hardworking people. They're not. We are seeing examples of violence all over the place. I saw it in Brooklyn before going into King's Plaza, robbing stores. I mean, I had Mary Glynn on this show a couple of weeks ago. See her tonight, Rockaway Republican Club. She talked about illegals sitting in the living room of residents in Bell Harbor, just walking in. It's a bad deal. Now they're beating up cops. What are your thoughts, Noam Layden, on the whole credit card deal? Well, he suggests that it's going to somehow in the end save the city money. I, I don't know enough about it to know if that's true or not. But yesterday he was up in Albany begging uh, the state for another $400 million to pay for the migrant mess. So it just gets worse by the day. You know, I noticed this morning I said it to Lewis. And uh, people say this about me all the time. You know, the whole I miss um, comparison. I'm fine with that. Maybe not two years ago when I was uh, still mad at him. But the longer he's dead, the more I like him. And the truth is, is whether you like him or not, he is a legend, you know. He's right up there, whether it's Stern or Limbaugh or Grant or who knows, you know. So I get um, I get people almost every day telling me that we miss Imus, but, man, you start to sound just like him without being a complete dick, you know. And so I said to Noam, I said, you have basically now, especially the first hour, because Imus would do the same thing. He would always start the show basically by saying, whether it was McCord or Connell, What's going on? And he would go, what else? What else? So the first hour today, and many mornings the first hour, that dynamic between Don and Charles or Don and Connell is what you and I have, Noam. Yeah. I know you hated Imus, and you were actually happy when he died. I think I was, yeah. Yeah. But you're okay with that dynamic, yes? I'm great with the dynamic. That it was, comparison. It's very different than, yeah, yeah, than it was with Imus. <laughs> yeah. Well, you didn't like each other, but, uh, no. but I think you'd be uh, more than happy to be compared to the to Connell, especially McCord. Yeah, yes. I love both of them. Yeah. You know, that's high praise. Thank you. And Lou on this show now has really taken on the role of both I'm uh, Bernie and Lou. He's doing them both. Bernie and Lou. Hey, I tell and that you, ain't easy. I tell you what. You're two-legged pimple, yeah. <laughs> now, we don't have anybody fat and stupid, so there's nobody like Rob on this show. Sorry, Rob. 
And then we've got um, we've got uh, Justin. He's Patrick McEnroe, I guess. Hey. Well, I would never call him Mike Green, but Patrick. McEnroe. I don't want to be. That. <laughs> yeah. Well, can who's I, the sports be... guy that you would put Justin? What class? Can Warner? I just, can I just be me? Can I... No, not no. Not we'll make it an no. Imus comparison. His teeth, his teeth are good, so we can't <laughs> yeah. be Warner. Uh, so who would it be? <laughs> um, you're not going to put him in not Breen. I don't think. No, you can't. No, no. No disrespect to Justin. I love him like a son. But Warner, he, Warner I, mean, I read it off a piece of paper. Yeah. You know, I'm, no, not, no, uh, I'm just, not here picking my... You know, I know, but you, you, still, you still do the voice aspect thing once in a while, which annoys me and that type of thing. But you're great. You're great. I love you, but you're not Breen. I'm not saying I'm great. Who's I'm the saying, guy I'm that, saying uh, I do the bare minimum. Who's the, the guy that sports? did the Notre Dame games? At, um, the old-time <laughs> guy. I loved him. Don Cricky. <laughs> okay, Don. Okay, that's a stretch, also. I yeah, think. but I'd like to think I do more for the show than just the sports update. But Justin, okay. this is not an attack on you. Yeah, that's all you're, right. you're, what is up? You have your period today, or something? Something like that. You're like a little biatch. <laughs> you're great. You're a great producer. You're great on the air. You're great off the air. You come in at the middle of the night. You know, when I come into work in the morning, there's, everything's already almost done. You're amazing. I could never do this show without you. Oh, well, you Are you happy you now? Go, you don't have to go over the top. I well, I'm, 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 I feel. I mean, I feel like you're going to jump out the window or something. Here. No, I'm just saying. Stay I mean, off of social media. Well, everybody's ever. Every, you're just having, you know, because having trouble finding a comparison. I'm just, I'm just trying to. Now you got to accept all the torture. Trying to get it. You're trying to pull it out of you. You're getting yeah. angry again, now aren't you? Know. you? No, okay. Right. We already saw that. This will be, be a fun morning for me. I can already tell. Shut the windows. <laughs> <laughs> WABC. All-time classic at 7.09 on your Wednesday morning, back on the best, well, the self-proclaimed best talk show anywhere in the world, sitting friends in the morning. That was a great hour number one. We got a great show the rest of the way. Brian Kilmeade later on this hour. Joe Tacopina, Peter King in the 8 o'clock hour. Judge Janine Pirro in the 9 o'clock hour. But the reason why we played the Stones there is because today happens to be, today, 
the 60-year anniversary, 60 years, I was negative three, six, and Curtis was 10, the 60-year anniversary of when Paul, John, George, and Ringo landed on a Friday at Kennedy Airport. Yes, Beatles mania made it to the States in New York, and of course, two nights later, they had their epic, epic appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show with Curtis's favorite character ever, Topo Jeju. Oh, yes. Oh, Topo. Topo, say, <laughs> yeah. say some words to your countrymen. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie, I love you, Eddie. So, so everybody loves the Beatles, including me. The only person I've ever met, I mean this, who doesn't love the Beatles is the woman I wake up to every morning, and I'm lucky to do that, trust me, my gorgeous wife, Danielle. She doesn't like the Beatles. And then I find out this morning, and this is why we played the Stones, that one of Danielle's friends, somebody she actually likes and respects, who's sitting right in front of me, he's now the second person who says terrible things about the Beatles. He's the icon. He's the legend. He's the Radio Hall of Famer, Rip and Reed, noon, overnight weekends. My friend Curtis Sliwa, how do you not like the Beatles? Let me tell you how visceral it is. As you know, on the weekends, I do the best side of the other side of midnight, six straight hours to the break of dawn. What do you mean the best side? You mean you're better than Frank Morano? Oh, hell, 10,000 times better. He's in the Curtis Sliwa Radio Talk Show boot camp now (laughs) because he's fallen from grace. But anyway... So Tony Orlando, without dawn, comes on before me Saturday nights, two hours after Cousin Brucey. And he's rarely, oh, I'm hoping to get Paul McCartney. And so I come on right after him. I hate, I loathe, I despise Whoa, Paul McCartney why? and the Beatles. Why? Tony Orlando had a meltdown. Let me tell you something. I don't know where Dawn went after that. He's on the phone with John Katsimatidis, who he's related to. He's a cousin. And he's screaming, I want Curtis's head. He's like everyone else who wants me fired, suspended, retracted. I'm trying to get Paul McCartney on. I'm trying to. This is Tony Orlando without Don. And my attitude to him was, I won't listen if you have Paul McCartney well, on. Well, well, let me just say this. Uh, I have been the one person who have gone against the tide. Not only do I not want you suspended or fired, I defend you. You know this all the time. Yes. And I put you on the show five days a week because, honestly, you're great. Uh, you belong, In fact, I, I said to a friend of mine this week, who's a very powerful New York radio guy, I said, uh, this year New York should put three people in the Radio Hall of Fame. Three. Craig Carton, Sid Rosenberg, and Curtis Sliwa. We should go in together. That's how great you are. But um, in this case, because you're bad-mouthing the Beatles, now I agree with everybody else. You should be fired. No, no, ours was a family feud. Let me take you back because you weren't even birthed, right? What were you, three years old? Minus three. You were pooping in your, your dirty water diapers at yeah. that time. I was born in 67, and the uh, Beatles made that visit 60 years ago today in 64, the year that Lou was born. Yes, all right. So now you walk into the Sliwa household. You were in the house in Canarsi. My sister, Alita, my older sister, she got seven years on me. She went to St. Brendan's in Sheepshead Bay. We had uh, what you called uh, the RCA TV 13-inch with the Victrola in the console. And she had the 45, the 7-inch uh, Love Me Do, the first Beatles song. Oh, so good. And she's playing it over and over and over. 
And so I'd say, equal time, equal time. But I'm, uh, what, I'm 10 years old. And eventually I was able to get equal time, and I played that song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, by my favorite group, the Rolling Stones, because they were at war. It was like civil war between Beatles and Rolling Stones. And I got to set the record straight. If, in fact, I ever do get that award that you suggested, I will dedicate it, not to somebody in talk radio, but a guy who never got credit where credit is due. Let me guess. Ron Jeremy. No. Oh. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) By the way, from Forest Hills, right, Ron Jeremy? Is that true? Absolutely. And you know, this guy introduced Bob Dylan, Forest Hills, the tennis stadium, right, when they used to do concerts, and they booed Bob Dylan. They should not allow any concerts at the Forest Hills. They booed. They booed him. Booed Bob Dylan, who was shocked. You know, he was in a drug-induced psychosis. Uh, But you're booing Bob Dylan? (laughs) You don't deserve concerts. Who was it? Murray the K and the Swinging Soiree. Sure. He was the fifth Beatle. WABC, they claimed, W.A. Beatle C. They wanted nothing to do with the Beatles when they first came here. When they stayed at the Plaza Hotel Suite, who was broadcasting with the Beatles? Murray the K at WINS before they became all news. 7 to 11 at night. That's who I listened to. I've said it over and over here. I did not listen to WABC because it was only top 40. Murray the K and the Swinging Soiree show was amazing. He would start with Sinatra. And then he'd go in, and he'd always give narratives and talk. Well, he sounds a lot like Cousin Bruce here to me. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. These yeah. were great DJs, but he never got credit. In fact, he went on tour with them. For, he was in George Harrison's room in Miami broadcasting from there. Wow. And I didn't my, know any of this. My sister was such a Beatles fanatic. We would visit our Polish relatives in Chicago once a year, and my dad and mom would drive out. Oh, we're going to stop in Benton, Illinois. Why are we stopping in Benton, Illinois? That's when George Harrison first came in 1963 when nobody knew him. His sister lived there. Well, nobody knew George Harrison at that time. So you're telling me, and we'll move on to the other uh, next topic here momentarily, but there's not one Beatles song, Yesterday, Long and Winding Road, Hey Jude. There's not one Beatles song that you enjoy, not one. Yes, yes, it's when John Lennon broke away because of Yoko Ono. That group breaker, and then she started wailing, screaming, and yelling. (laughs) They should have used that at Gitmo. That could have broken Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, sleep deprivation. What the hell would he ever allow Yoko Ono out on a stage screaming Uh, like she was having natural birth? (laughs) There it is. There you go. There's Yoko right there. And John Lennon would say, oh, it's so great. Here, puff, puff, pass. It's so great. By the way, they uh, they at one point staged a bed-in Lennon and Yoko? Yeah, I think it was in Amsterdam at the airport. I think you're right. Yeah, and they didn't change the sheets. Oh, she was so nasty. And anyway. by the way, uh, John Lennon, didn't your mother ever tell you there in Liverpool that you got to change your underwear? I mean, no, it was really nasty. They're, they're both gross. So um, it turns out, uh, Curtis, all the nice things you say about me and, and my God, what I do for you, you're going to speak Saturday at my major event at the Fifth Avenue Synagogue. Hold on a second. Yeah. I almost had a run in here like Arthur McCanty Sr. You and Noam going back and forth, the greatest boxing referee of all time. <laughs> all the great heavyweight battles with Muhammad Ali. I had to be like Arthur McCanty Sr., who was from Long Island, separating you two. I thought there was going to be like, oh, my God, this was going to be like Haganah versus Ergun when Very the Jews good. were at war. Very good another. reference. Yes, well, I'm trying to make the point to Noam that even though my heart breaks for these hostages, and I'm the guy that has now sat with Rachel Goldberg twice. Yes, yeah, great interview. Thank great, you. Great. Thank you. My heart breaks, but we cannot 
We cannot do this. We are playing right into Hamas's hands. You see, that's the battle that takes place in Israel and here in America between Jews. There's no battle. Bibi knows what he has to do. It's the media. It's the White House. No, what he has to do. May I disagree with you? He's got to do one thing. Yeah. Bomb Iran and take out that oh, nuclear no, weapons listen, reactor. That's a whole other because story. Because the, the clock is ticking on him. I agree. And it would be nice if the United States helped him. Oh, they're not. I know they're not. But it turns out that with uh, me having you speak on Saturday night, me saying just moments ago you they, belong in they, the Radio Hall of Fame. They're going to let me speak? Some of those same people who in the campaign <laughs> against Eric Adams called me an anti-Semite while he was a Farrakhan lover? Do I get to do I get to I fornicate and mad dog some of these people? You do. I, I don't think Eric is going to be there, but you can do whatever you no, want. No, 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 not Eric. No, okay. Some of your peeps. I understand. So that would be very nice. Here they're spending all this money to help honor me. You're going to kill him, but you are going to speak somewhere in between Dove Hyken, Lizzie Savetsky, and the rest of them. Oh, I, I'll, I'll be on. I'll be talking at two o'clock in the morning at that rate. <laughs> Jews don't know when to stop no, talking. We'll, we'll make. We'll make it. Yentes, yentes. Hey, it's time. Hey, the Sandman, bring the Sandman in from from the Apollo Theater. Pull him off. But with all that said, I find out you're cheating on me. What do I mean by that? Well, it turns out you've got this uh, love affair with my friend Sean Hannity. You're on Sean's show all the time. I know why Sean wants you. You are New York. There's no better New York guest. I'll include myself. There's no better New York guest than Curtis Sliwa. And when it comes to illegals and migrants, no one has been more right from day one than Curtis Sliwa. So you're on his show all the time. And last night, he took some video, Sean Hannity and Fox News, of, I guess, some type of scrum in Times Square. What happened out what there? What are you, a real Brit? Scrum? <laughs> yes. Well, next you're going to be talking what? about fake for me fraudulent for Casey football, right? Don't forget, my daughter goes to college in Europe. But but what happened last night with you in Times Square? All right. Did you kill anybody last night? Almost. Oh, Almost. No. All right. Uh, we're patrolling Times Square now because the Venezuelan gangbangers rule. They control the deuce. Can you imagine this? We put them up in all these hotels, $500 a night, culturally appropriate food, iPhone, cell phones, health insurance, moped, right? Mopeds and motorbikes with no licenses, no registration, and they're rolling up and down the streets. We we rule the night. In Spanish, they're saying, we rule the night. I said, where are the cops? And my guys, some of them who speak Spanish, you know them. They say, man, these guys are flexing. They're going in and out of these stores, and they're shoplifting like they got it. You know, they've learned the American way. And Alvin Bragland in Manhattan, you can walk in, walk out with a whole bag of stuff and no com- consequence. So I said, well, no, there's one minor consequence. All of a sudden, this uh, feckless governor who I hate. In fact, I dislike her more than Cuomo. I hate to say it, but I do. She's out there criticizing Alvin Bragg on Fox News. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. She's the only person, the only person with the authority to fire him. Yes, and she can fire Eric Adams, swag him out with no plan. She can fire the mayor. She can fire both of them. And what does she do? Nothing, because she's full of shizzle. Full of it. Well, as you said it, why would she fire the guy who's going to be in the bullring first uh, trial against Donald Trump? Come on, you, you know the deal on this. Oh, I'm going to talk with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're patrolling up and down, and we're, like, straightening these Venezuelan gangbangers because they won't let the cops do it. They, the cops back off. They're untouchables. You can't touch them. Oh, my God. It's like the, the, the golden calf. Don't touch them. So we, our guys are telling them in Spanish, man, you ain't doing that no more. You ain't going to any stores and shoplifting. 
or else you face the consequences. Oh, So three guys are shoplifting while I'm doing the interview. The guardian angels are behind me. And they bolt and they start slamming these guys and they're sucking concrete. And nobody in the crowd is saying, oh, you're aggressive. I mean, we were giving them therapeutic back massages and attitudinal readjustments. No cops. So naturally, the longer it took for the cops to come, the longer we were subjecting them to a language that everyone understands all over the world, pain, compliance. Then the cops finally get there, scoop them up, take them away. They had bags full of clothes with the tags on it. They had just shoplifted. No kidding. Yeah, just shoplifted. No, no, no. We don't tolerate that stuff. You know that, Sid. We flex. And, hey, you want to arrest us? Go ahead, arrest us, police, because we'll be out in the street before you finish the paperwork, too. Uh, the police are on your side now. Yes, they are. They just got their asses kicked in Times Square by these illegal lowlifes. They're on your side Where now. Where are the nightsticks? Eric Adam, missing in action, Eddie Caban. Put the nightsticks back in the hands of the cops. These are mobs. These are organized gangs now. Who invited them? They invite. Eric Adams invited them into our house. They ate our food. They want the channel changer in Rockaway. Uh, somebody walks into the house. There's Diego sitting. Hey, I don't know how to work this channel changer. You know, what to watch ESPN Portland. No, really soccer. Go, go. And by the way, do you have any mayonnaise? I want it on this sandwich. They get everything. On a serious note, the lady that told us that story is a friend of both of ours. We've got two ladies in Rockaway that are huge and brave. Margaret Powers. She's married to Paul King, who once again is running against Gregory Meeks at Laos. And uh, Mary Glynn, the head of the Rockaway Republican Party. It just so happens tonight is the next Rockaway Republican meeting oh, out oh. there at the Knights of Columbus. I'm going to oh. be there. Scott Lobato, your friend from Staten Island. I got, I He's going to be there. You've got to be there. No, I'm not honoring you. I honor you enough. I'm there <laughs> to honor Scott Lobato. What a set. This man is a man's man. He's grown like four sets, right? He is he is my he is my main rebel along with John Tobacco uh, and, and fighting and, fighting these immigrant shelters. And he's about to be honored in a big way because as I told you, I'm heading down to Mar a Lago to see President Trump March the thirteenth, invited by the great Siggy Flicker, and on that night at Mar a Lago with Trump in attendance, they're gonna show Scott Lobato's new movie, the documentary, The Relentless Patriot, which I hear you're in. I think so, unless he left me on the cutting room floor. <laughs> Apparently, I had the best lines. Look, I trained Scott Lobato in a civil disobedience. He was afraid to get arrested the first time. I said, no big thing, Scott. I've been arrested dozens and dozens of times. Man up. That's a man's man. That's a true American patriot. But I got a problem. I got to bifurcate myself. I'll be there on Rockaway, the Irish Riviera, to honor Scott Lobato. Because I honor you every morning, 7.05, when I'm on with you, Monday through Friday. Then I got to shoot over to Ozone Park, because they got problems in Ozone Park. This is a war everywhere. And guess who's the general? Not Eric Adams. He He's the one who invited him in. He has turned over our city to the illegal aliens, the bad hombres. What are you going to do about these guests who are stealing, pickpocketing, jostling, going into stores, stealing whatever they can get their hands on, and they know they got it like that. And when they're asked, 
What are your roots in the community so that Alvin Bragg and the judges can turn them loose? Oh, it's my padron, Eric Adams. He is my padron. He invited me here. Eric Adams, you have forsaken the city. You have forsaken your own people, black people, who should be getting those snap cards when they live in the street. Some who are veterans. And you're going to give $1,000 a month to people who don't even want to eat a bagel and a schmear. How un-American is that? Send them back. Pack their bags and send them back to Caracas in Venezuela. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Entertaining and informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. serious stuff, Curtis, and we'll talk to Brian Kilmeade coming up momentarily. Then more great guests along the way, Joe Tacopina, Peter King, Janine Piero. I'm going to give you a, um, a recommendation. This comes from me. Big recommendation. I started watching last night, Eric Clapton Cocaine, a show on Netflix titled Griselda. Now, I've got a buddy down in Miami. His name is Billy Corbin. And uh, the 11 years I worked at three different South Florida radio stations, I became very friendly with Billy. But I was doing sports talk. I wasn't doing politics for the most part. Politics came later. So I had no idea what a flaming liberal jerk-off Billy was, but I still love him, you know. (laughs) And Billy made some really good movies, including Cocaine Cowboys. He made Cocaine Cowboys one and two. Now, I've got a lot of years in South Florida. I lived in Boca Raton for 16 years. I went to the University of Miami in Coral Gables to start my collegiate career, which was four schools, but started in Miami with Bernie Kosar after Miami beat Nebraska to win the national championship. My sister Lizzie lives in Parkland. I am a lot of Florida. You know, I mean, it's really been my second home and for many, many years, my first home. So I know a lot about Miami. I used to work in Miami, right off of Ives Dairy Road. I would make the trip from Palm Beach County 
down to Dade County. Well, when Dwayne Wade played there, they called it Wade County. So Billy made these movies, Cocaine Cowboys, and the second one was about this lady, Griselda. Let me tell you about Griselda. Pablo Escobar once said, the only man, the only man I ever feared was a woman, and her name was Griselda Blanco. From the late 1970s to the early 2000s, she was Miss Cocaine in Florida. She came from Colombia, part of the Medellin cartel, and she was as vicious, as vicious as Escobar, as you name it. Who's the guy, the Mexican guy that we had here in Brooklyn all those years? Oh, uh, uh, El Chapo. Yes. She was more vicious than all of them. She would kill you. But by the way, she was a great mom. She had three kids. She lived this double life. She was a mother of three, but yet she was a ruthless killer. So now Netflix is doing a series on it, and they've got uh, Sophia Viagra. Or um, as she's more commonly known, Vergara. Yeah, right, but I call her Viagra because she's hot, you know. I get it. But they made her look ugly in this movie because, to be honest, Griselda was not really hot. She was okay. And early in her career, you know, before she really became the cocaine queen, she did some prostitution, and there were deals you'll see in the movie where there were times she had to have sex with other men just to get stuff done, to clear debt or to get coke, all that type of stuff. So she does a really good job. Now, I'm only one episode in, only one, the cocaine grandmother, the black widow, but uh, it is great, not good, great. I could see her being very good. She, I, was, doing I think she's a terrible actress. Yeah, but I, could I can't. I, I don't understand a word she says. That show, Modern Family, I couldn't stand. She's Yay! gorgeous. Yeah. Yay! So I went into this. I go, Danielle, this is not going to be good. You're right. I was wrong. One episode in, she is great and totally believable as this ruthless cocaine dealer. And at the same time, loving mother. Yeah, I could see her looking mean and being tough. And uh, that sounds good already for what you described. One episode in, 51 minutes. I had to go to bed. It was 9.30 last night. I so badly wanted to stay up and binge watch the whole series. Viagra. (laughs) It is great. So, folks, if you're into that stuff like I am, mob, cocaine wars, cartel, Miami, all that good stuff, check out Griselda on Netflix. All right, here's a smooth transition from (laughs) cocaine to tunnel to towers. (laughs) It is. (laughs) That's why we get the big ratings. Time for my weekly Tunnel to Towers update. My man, the CEO, what a great guy, Frank Siller, and his team at the foundation are hard at work assisting first responder families all over the U.S. Louis, take it away. 77 WABC. This is Sitting Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. tell you one of my favorite sport jackets i almost never wear it never is a blue velvet 
Joseph Abood sports jacket. And the reason why I very rarely wear it is it's too dressy for every day, but I'm not sure it's dressy enough. For example, when I get my Guardian of Israel award at the Fifth Avenue Synagogue on Saturday night. So it's kind of like stuck in the middle. But coming up later on this afternoon, for the second consecutive year, I've been invited to and will attend the Brian Kilmeade Christmas Party in February. <laughs> well, Kilmeade yes. takes everybody from WABC, from John, Margot, Chad, and Emily, to guys like me, out to this beautiful steak lunch. And we all have a bunch of laughs and a great time. And I have to stay in the city, of course, for three hours and 15 minutes after the show to do it. But he's all worth it. So today I am donned in the blue velvet jacket to celebrate nice. my good friend, my great friend, the man on after me every morning at WABC, Fox and Friends and One Nation, the great Brian Kilmeade. Good morning, Brian. Hey, uh, Sid, great job. Congratulations on the impactful coverage overseas. Can't wait to get, uh, I can't wait to get the insight today. But I wanted to try to do this in December because I appreciate you guys, especially Justin, your producer. Uh, doing the talk in New York every day, never forgets to call right at 520. Uh, so, uh, it was, they say it was just too busy for everybody. So we waited to after you got back and, and we're going to do this thing. We're going to have some fun. It's always fun. No, you're, uh, listen, I, I love being in your company. You're funny. You're smart. Uh, what you see on TV is basically what you get with, uh, with Brian Kilmeade. And in terms of Israel, you know, last week you were kind enough to put me on your big time radio show on over 100 markets around the country on Fox. I believe it was after my Tuesday show, maybe Wednesday show last yeah. week, live from Jerusalem. And look, you know, I, I just did a, a huge story. It's going to be in the New York Post. comes out this Sunday. Everybody pretty much asked the same thing. What was it like? And I'll say this uh, to you, like I told everybody else. These are the most resilient, loyal, patriotic people. You look at what goes on in this country, the divide between Biden people and Trump people, the divide in New York City between the lefties and people like me who are sick and tired of the illegals, the dirt and the crime. It is rough. It is rough. There is none of that in Israel. Everybody walks the streets, Brian, with a smile, with a sense of pride. You would never know, never know they're in the middle of a huge war, which is taking place in the south. It's also taking place right now in Judea and Samaria. And right down the road, maybe the worst of all, this possibility of a war in the north. You'd never know it. These people are the most beautiful people in the world. So the whole thing is, the, the subplot is the hostages. So finish off Gaza, the world's telling, saying stop. And then at the same time, you got hundred over 100 hostages, some of which are in their 80s and some small children. And every day that goes by, people are agonized and torn up by it. So the, the, that dual... Uh, uh, that dual emotional trauma is undescribable, almost unprecedented. Yeah. Now, listen, I had the opportunity to sit with Rachel Goldberg and her son, uh, of course, Hirsch, a very, very a face you know. You know, his arm was blown off at the Nova Music Festival. You've seen yeah, Rachel Goldberg sure. on your station a million times. She sat with me for 30 minutes live in studio last week. But, you know, the reports come out today. NBC is reporting that at least, at least 31 of that 136 are dead I've seen other reports today that say at least half are dead. So the truth is, there's not 136. Uh, but look, uh, Israel wants the bodies. That's part of the issue. So even if these people are dead, they want the bodies back. But trust me when I tell you, 136, not even close. Probably closer to 70. Yeah, I mean, and there could be a deal uh, in the works. I just was just watching some international channels 
uh, and they, they seem to think it's closer than ever. One of the reasons it was delayed is because this Hamas leader, this coward, is running for his life. No one can get a hold of him uh, to see if he'd sign off on this. I mean, that, these are some of the things you hear. Obviously, fifth and sixth hand, and uh, the BBC's got more resources there, it seems, uh, overseas. So we'll see what happens. And then we find out that behind the scenes, Joe Biden's using expletives to describe uh, who Benjamin Netanyahu is. Please. So uh, we're their best ally. And that's the way this this president feels about the prime minister. Uh, This president has been exposed as a lying fake. He is not there for Israel. Uh, Every time he says something nice about Israel, he, he says something nasty, like you said about Netanyahu. He has forced them into ceasefires and pauses. We know, of course, he's funded Iran in not just one but two administrations. And the people on the ground in Israel know it. They're not fooled. People here, these morons in America who hate Trump so much, they'll vote for Biden. They overlook it. In Israel, they say the right thing because they need America's money. They need America's help. But they know Joe Biden is a double talking, can't trust him, backstabbing, no good son of a bitch, and he's not fooling anybody in Israel. But I want to move from the Israel-Hamas war to the war on the streets of New York. Let me tell you who I can't stand, okay? This governor, this Kathy Hochul, and I'll tell you why. For her to come out like she's tough on crime and all of a sudden criticizing Alvin Bragg, let me tell you what the biggest problem there is with her criticizing Alvin Bragg. You know what it is? She's the only person in the world that can fire Alvin Bragg today. She's had ample opportunities over the last couple of months, even with the Daniel Penny trial, to fire Alvin Bragg. So the fact that she criticizes Alvin and she's upset about, you know, bail reform and the migrant crisis says to me, so what? Do something about it. Fire Alvin Bragg. And all these Democratic legislatures that will not realize that bail reform was the biggest folly uh, in New York State history, and it's costing us uh, thousands of lives, the quality of life, putting criminals back on the street, now illegal aliens back on the street so they can get their prepaid credit cards. So she says, yeah, uh, blame Alvin Bragg. Let me ask some. Alvin Bragg should have been fired. I'm with you. But what was he waiting for? He said, yo, well, we didn't have all the facts. That's why we didn't didn't put him in jail uh, pending bail. What do you mean you didn't have all the facts? Can you guys have it? Do you have a video recorder there? Do you, do you know you have every camera on the street on 42nd Street? Do you know that, that, that beatdown that we all witnessed was available to them and they still let them out? It was outrage, just like the bodega owner. Let's put him in Rikers Island for protecting himself until the video emerges and outrage starts with you and the New York Post going crazy. And then that guy, the bodega owner, gets out. Alvin Bragg's instinct is immediately uh, side with the criminals. Right. And he's not the only one. Look at Chicago. Look at Philadelphia. San Francisco, they ousted their guy. Look at Los Angeles. No, you're right. That guy, Jose Alba, was actually a hero, and he's, uh, his whole life uh, was a mess. He actually had to leave New York City. So there's been ample opportunities for Hoko to get rid of this son of a gun. She doesn't do it. So whatever she says to me means a whole bunch of well, nothing. Well, she's not going to get you because she wants to get rid of Trump. He wants to get rid of Trump, right? So right. this guy is going to have the first Trump trial in New York, I think, in May. Do you believe this? Of course, and that's why she still has some loyalties to him, because him and Letitia James, they wake up every morning trying to put my good buddy in jail. And that's why she's got some loyalty to him, even though she knows he is derelict of duty. Now, Eric Adams, you talk about timing. The cops just got beat up. Just everybody is pissed at the illegals. Yet all of his cops talking just last week that it's one thing to come here looking for help. Once you become a criminal, you're a criminal. And almost at the exact same time, Adam says, 
let's spend $53 million on giving these people credit cards. What's wrong with him? Well, he says, I'm going to save money because they don't like our food that we give them, so we'll let them shop for their own. It's a pilot program. That's what he's saying. Uh, so let's see how that goes. It's crazy. I mean, that's just another attraction. Wait, if I get to New York, I'm going to get a prepaid credit card? Fantastic. Uh, that sounds great. By, by the way, so when you go out, don't worry, your laundry will be done. What kind of fabric software do you need for your towels? Oh, and we'll take it down your bed every day. So what's going on? Yeah, why is it between, uh, you know, him and Hochul, we got to get these people jobs, you got to give them credit cards. You know, on one hand, he bitches and complains how there's no room here, right? The hotel is closed, and the national government and the federal government won't help us. And then he has all these programs and ideas that incentivizes people to come. What is he thinking? Well, the worst is uh, Gavin Newsom. He's giving the guys free health care. Do you believe this? He's overwhelming every emergency room for the legitimate citizens of California. And now every illegal go gets free health care. If you don't and you think that shows compassion, I mean, that's just total idiocy. It's going to just bring out a, even more of an invasion. Yeah. So now President Biden, just so you know, President Biden's got his new line. Uh, Donald Trump killed uh, border reform. I wanted to back up the border, but Donald Trump killed it. Get ready for that. No, I know he's going to say that, but getting back to Newsom, you talk about the health care, also voting. People in California, get the, these illegals get to vote almost right away. Uh, but, but with that said, it seems like he may be on the ticket. What do I mean by that? You know, I've been saying for a while now, and people like Roger Stone on this show, Steve Bannon on this show have agreed that Joe Biden is not going to be the nominee that the Democrats are, are, are ready at some point to unveil the real ticket, which will be Michelle Obama and Gavin Newsom. The aforementioned Gavin Newsom. Now, I know Cindy Adams has it today, and outside of the interviews I did on my show, no one else has printed this, that <clears throat> Michelle Obama is ready to run. But I got to tell you, Brian, every day that Obama-Newsom ticket looks more and more like it's going to happen, especially with the with the, the numbers coming out this week that Trump has now built like a five- to seven-point lead over Joe Biden. The only thing you're missing, and I know you're not missing it, but you're discounting it, I think, everybody is, is that Joe Biden's calling the shots because he's got Air Force One. Unless they have something on him, and I mean extortion, old-fashioned extortion, unless they have something on him to force him out, his family does not want to lose that power and influence. The people around him, Jake Sullivan and all these other guys, don't want to lose that power and influence, Anthony Blinken. And, yeah, they might stick around for an Obama administration if he was to actually put this together and go. But I, you have to just understand that <clears throat> that Obama and Biden don't get along. And even though they're in communication, they look at two different factions. Like the Clintons and Obamas did not get along. They are two different factions. And he has got to step aside. He does not understand how bad he's failing. I think he does, and uh, if he doesn't, he's certainly been told that. And I look at uh, Biden like he's Christopher or Paulie Walnuts, and I look at Barack Obama like he's Jimmy Gandolfini, Tony Soprano. And if Barack Obama walks into the White House and says, hey, Joe, sit down right here, you're done. Joe going to be done. I don't care whether he likes Obama, hates Obama. Obama put him there. Bottom line, I put you here. I made you my vice president. I did what I had to do during the campaign in 2020 to put you here. Now get your ass out of here. So I don't buy that Biden calls right. the shots. I don't think Biden's well, called the shots from day one. Well, Sid Scorsese, let me tell you a thing or two. All right. Bottom line is Obama's keys don't work in the front door. And Biden's do, does. And he may have put him there, and he absolutely saved his career, no question. And then he avoided him 
and use Bo Biden's death as an excuse, I got it. But then he helped put him there and ran for it. But once he got the keys, he's calling the shots unless they have something on him, unless they let the Hunter Biden investigation go right to uh, where it belongs, which, which is Joe's bank account. So if something like that becomes clear, for example, this document case, keep an eye on Robert Hur's investigation because they're going to start taking pictures of what he took from those skiffs when he was a senator uh, and in Boston. And don't be surprised if, if Obama's got some influence there. So that could neutralize uh, Trump's uh, document case, obviously, too. So don't be surprised if something like that happens. But if Biden has his druthers and does not fall and have an aneurysm or any type of physical ailment, he is going to go through the convention and take on Trump. Even though you even what you're saying is logical, but nothing about Joe Biden is logical and the people around him and his wife will not let him not be president. Yeah, she's the problem, Jill. You're right. Let's wrap up this uh, great conversation. Again, for folks that don't know, I bring this up all the time. One of the first jobs I got offered in New York was to do a sports show on um, Sports USA, or I don't even remember what it was called, with Brian Kilmeade, live from Mickey Mantle's Bar. The year was 1997, and clearly we didn't do that. Now, years later, Brian is a monster superstar. This Sunday, Super Bowl 58 from Las Vegas, second time in four years. It'll be the Chiefs and the 49ers. Only difference is, four years ago, it was Garoppolo quarterback in San Francisco. This year, it's Brock Purdy, but Patrick Mahomes is right back there. And I remember watching my dear friend Christopher Russo, by the way, Mike Francesa, on this show, 8.15 tomorrow. But I remember watching Russo on vacation during Christmas. And he, like everybody else, was, was saying, the Chiefs are done. They're finished. It's over. And here's Patrick Mahomes right back in the Super Bowl. They're the underdog. I would never bet against the Chiefs. Well, I don't know about betting. I'm, I'm not a big better, but I think San Francisco's going to win. And, and what I think is underrated is Brock Purdy, what he did with his feet in the fourth quarter. And I think the coaching staff is going to be fantastic. I, the adjustments are going to make it halftime. It's going to have everybody taking notes. I get it. I give the nod to the 49ers. I think the Chiefs are the most flawed, great team uh, in the Super Bowl. They they have they are so beatable yet they they have find a way to overcome uh, uh, their deficits. I and I'm not talking about score. Any type of any, when they have a key drop, they find a way to to come up big defensively. But I just think San Francisco is ready to go, and I, I think that they got the coaching staff to do it. I think they've been thinking about this matchup for a while. It's truly a rematch. So if you tape this, I don't know if you would play record on this uh, on your cassette. I don't. You do this on a cassette. Uh, deck right you tape this yes of course yes, if you I hit know. you hit play record Absolutely. you could play this back on uh, super bowl <laughs> yeah. monday okay uh listen i'm taking andy weed and his coaching staff over shanahan and his coaching staff every day of the week and i'm taking Mahomes over every quarterback in football he'll find a way to win finally one nation after my buddy mark levin 9 p.m saturday nights <laughs> fox news great great show so much uh, going on you're gonna love one of my guests who do you got especially uh john harbaugh Oh, I love John Harbaugh. I know you love him too, and and of yes. course uh, his Baltimore Ravens very big disappointment. Uh, that, that was a that was a bad loss. It was, but hey, uh, he's in Baltimore. His brother Jim leaves Michigan. He's in Los Angeles, and the Harbaugh brothers once again can go head to head in the NFL. Yeah, it's going to be, and also you know this guy is flat out. He's the most successful coach in the NFL right now. He's had one losing season, I think, in fifteen years. So he gets there. Uh, obviously, a huge disappointment. I want to get his uh, take on the game. Also, the fact is that he opens up these press conferences, gives thanks to God, and people might try to cut it out. His brother's showing up these pro-life rallies. And the Harbaugh's are really getting the attention of people outside sports. And also, it looks like Jim Harbaugh's son, 
his nephew, uh, John's nephew, just got a job in Seattle. So it looks like the coaching tree will continue. Oh, that's awesome. Who else? Who's coming on to talk politics on Saturday night? Dana Prino. Uh, Dana Prino for sure. Uh, so she is going to be on, and we're going to have Tommy Laren. Uh, so we're just still formatting a little bit. We are at Wednesday. We want to make the show relevant by Saturday. So uh, I'll yeah. continue to... To, yeah. to push this cause. Clearly, you're uh, you're pushing all the pretty girls at Fox News on Saturday night. Dana, Tommy. And just, the... a, just a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. coincidence. Hey, it's good TV, they brother. Are... Good TV. Right. Uh, I look very much forward to seeing you this afternoon at the uh, the Brian Kilmeade Christmas lunch. And as always, excellent job. I'll see you this afternoon. I'll be watching One Nation. We'll do it again next week. Thank you, buddy. And don't forget our big radio show coming up from 9 to noon, uh, 10 to noon for you guys. Uh, Anthony Munoz will be with us. Oh, wow. Uh, Rich Lowry, Andy McCarthy, Martha McCallum. It's going to be a wow. big lineup. And just promise me you'll stay within yourself until we have lunch. <laughs> I'll do all that. You got it, buddy. That's a monster right. show Brian's got coming up. Hall of Fame lineman Anthony Munoz and all those other great political guests, including a guy that's on this show every Monday, my friend Rich Lowry. Uh, that'll wrap up the 7 o'clock hour. Big 8 o'clock hour about to come your way, which includes Congressman Peter King. More of City Friends in the morning on a Wednesday, right after this. Friends in the morning, 77 WABC. When I got traded here, it, it, it did feel like home. It felt like it was where I was supposed to be. Um, all those names you mentioned, you know, obviously my dad played with Greece, played with Alin. Bobby T was the running back coach when he was there. Um, played for Mike. You know, Kyle was in the building all the time. It's just the whole thing is like the second generation of all of those uh, teams that my dad was on. And so... It definitely feels like home for me. If you're going to San Francisco, be sure to wear some flowers in your hair. If you're going to San Francisco, song you know they used this song in Forrest Gump I think this was one of the scenes where Ginny was doing a whole bunch of drugs and uh, Tom Hanks Forrest Gump of course ends up marrying her well it's just an unbelievable movie but this is a great song San Francisco and that's on the heels of the cut we played from superstar Niner running back Christian McCaffrey he talks about the trade he was dealt to the 49ers from the Carolina Panthers last year and he talked a lot in that cut about his father, 
So for folks that don't know, his father, Ed, and both Ed McCaffrey and Christian McCaffrey both went to Stanford, father and son. But his father, Ed, was drafted by my Giants in 1991, and he had three really good years with the Giants from 91 to 93 before he he moved on. He actually played one year in San Francisco, ironic, and then he went on to play for Mike Shanahan, whose son, Kyle Shanahan, is now coaching the 49ers. But McCaffrey played for Mike Shanahan with Elway in Denver from 94 to 2003. And he was part of a very infamous game. The night before September the 11th, September the 10th, 2001, was the opening night Monday night football game of the year that year. And the season before that, the Giants were in the Super Bowl, and they got blown out by the Baltimore Ravens. You remember, Ray Lewis, Jamal Lewis, Kerry Collins had a terrible game. But the Giants, by winning the NFC Championship, got a chance to play Monday night football the night before. And they got blown out by the Denver Broncos that night. Brian Greasy was the quarterback. And Ed McCaffrey, Christian's father, had six catches for 94 yards when he ripped his knee to shreds in that game and did not play the rest of the year. Now, he came back the following season and caught 69 passes for almost 1,000 yards. But the, well, the story is here is that Ed McCaffrey between the Giants, the Niners, and the Broncos was a really good player, like his son went to Stanford, played for Shanahan's father, Mike, in Denver. So there are a lot of similarities between the two, and those were the points that Christian was making, but only I can tell you why that was the case, because I'm a genius. Right. Right. Well, I mean, I yeah. I mean, most people, I feel like, leading up to the Super Bowl, that story's been told a lot this week. Nobody knows. Nobody knows Nobody the knows. connection no. between the no. Shanahan's Nobody. and the McCaffrey's. 100%. Nobody. No, not really. So, uh, and no one even knows who the hell Ed McCaffrey is. Well, I actually really didn't until... Uh, Just and, now. And, and, yeah. <laughs> well, a couple no. weeks ago. I, you know, <laughs> yeah, you, right. You brush up on these things. But uh, look yeah. out for uh, uh, Christian's little brother, Luke. Luke McCaffrey. Who's at Rice and setting all these wide receiver records at Rice right now. Is that true? Yeah. A so, wide receiver like his father. Right. Wow. So uh, Christian was talking the other day at the media day about hopefully one day being able to play with his younger brother. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Justin. Excellent job. Uh, my next guest is the best defense attorney in the world. That says a lot. Not in New York, not in this country, in the world. Friend of mine for nearly 47 years. He's the great Joseph Takapina. Joseph, good morning, buddy. How are you? All right, pal. Let's go Niners. Now, why do you want the Niners to win? Well, well, let's let's start with the basic. I'm a Raiders fan, and they're playing the Chiefs, the Niners. And anyone who's playing the Chiefs is my favorite team on that given day. <laughs> yeah. I hate hate yeah. the Chiefs. I hate yeah. Patrick Mahomes' little wiggle when he walks. I can't stand the Kansas City Chiefs. So I want the Niners to win. I like the Niners though as a team. You know, they like the St. Louis Cardinals to me, of football. Like, they're always good. Their organization's amazing. Yeah. Um, I love I love that McCaffrey, Brock Purdy. I mean, Brock Purdy, what a great story, right? The last pick in the draft, and he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Um, and, it's, and Nick Bosa's my guy. That's my favorite player in football because he's an He's animal. a beast. Yeah, he's so, an animal. Yeah. Beast, beast, beast. So I'm pulling big for the Niners. I think they're going to win big. No, they're not going to. No, 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 no. I'm glad you're pulling for the Niners, and you just told a beautiful story, and it made a lot of sense because the Raiders and Chiefs are one of the great NFL rivalries. But that's where it ends. They're not going to win. You can't beat Patrick Mahomes in a big game. You're, you're can't do it. You're saying the Chiefs are going to beat the Niners. 100%. 
Let me remind everybody again that I was watching. Let me remind everybody. Hold on. That I was at Crystal. Hold on. I was at Crystal Springs Resort in New Jersey a month ago when the Chiefs were losing to bad football teams. Bad teams. I think the Raiders even beat them. And uh, Russo and everybody else is saying, they're done, it's over, it's done. And, oh, my God, look who's back in the Super Bowl. They just win big games, Mahomes. He's going to win. Yes. They, no, 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 they do. And, look, he's a great quarterback. I'm not saying that. I just because I don't like his little wiggle when he walks and, and his whole family's annoying and his girlfriend's, you know, and the, his wife and the other guy's girlfriend. I'm so sick of that whole genre of, of players there. But that being said, they're amazing. They're great. But the 49ers will win. And please just no. remember, on Monday, I told you so. I remember. I'll play this tape when you're wrong again. Um, bigger question. <laughs> I keep getting the, uh, this uh, question every day. It's going to be annoying for you. But you and I are closer than brothers, so you can deal with it. Are you back working for Trump yet again? <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. So it was two weeks. I basically wanted to go on vacation. Now I'm back. So thank God. <laughs> we have that trial starting soon. Hey, you know, you say that trial started soon, so while we're on the Trump thing, because I do want to get to this Ethan Crumbly story, which is really uh, setting a precedent uh, there in in Michigan. But uh, tell me about uh, the the next trial for Donald Trump. Well, right now it looks like almost certainly it's going to be the Alvin Bragg, Stormy Daniels, Hush Money case in Manhattan, a case that is honestly a joke of a case. Um, it's, it's trying to fit a, a square peg into a round hole. Um, the laws really and facts don't meet, but, but it's going to trial. And, you know, whenever Donald Trump is brought to trial in New York City with New York City jurors, there's a risk, right? I mean, you know, he's not very popular here. And, and that case will, will be the first trial because the, the, you know, the DC case, if you will, the election subversion case, the, the, you know, January 6th case, is not, it looks it's on hold. Obviously, the judge scrapped plans for that March fourth trial, which was going to be the first trial. But then just yesterday, it was a massive ruling where the federal appeals court rejected Trump's claim that he was immune on charges of plotting to subvert the results of the 2020 election. So ruling that he must go to trial in the indictment, accusing him of seeking to overturn the laws of Biden. So so that was a unanimous ruling. Now what happens next? It's not like the case goes back to the trial judge. Now, you know, Trump will appeal this. To the Supreme Court without question, without question. I saw a, uh, a number a couple of days ago. It kind of surprised me in that, you know, Trump now has built pretty nice size lead, five to seven points over Biden in, uh, in almost every national poll. He's got a good enough lead to win when you include the margin of error. But but that number goes down pretty significantly from these people. If, in fact, the president ends up being convicted now, I know you're on Al Sharpton's show, and you did not say that you wanted him to be convicted, that he's going to be convicted. All you said was, in your defense, that could happen. There's a chance. But clarify it here. There's a chance. Sure. What kind of chance? First 20%, of all, 50%? Percent? Yeah. The, the, I never said I wa- wanted this. I don't want him to be convicted. Let's right. Be about that. Right. right. So he's a... He's a former client. I have fiduciary obligation to any former client, including him. And and we didn't have a falling out. It wasn't like there was a problem. It was just, as we discussed, said you were the first to hear it. I spoke on your show first. It was just my time, right, for a host of personal reasons. You and I know them, you know, that I choose not to share publicly, but that's it. So so there's no I hope or want. It's what's realistic, right? What's realistic is this. You have four indictments. You have 91 counts. You have four jury pools, three in which are venues that are not 
Trump-friendly venues. Let's be real, right? New York City, Washington, D.C., Atlanta, Georgia. And then you have this, you know, the, the Florida case. Um, is there a chance he's convicted? If you say there's not, it's not, you're not being realistic. And it's not because I think the facts are overwhelming that he'll be convicted. There is a chance with a jury that I've won cases that I zero business winning. I've lost cases that I thought should have been won. Um, I've had juries hang on cases because one juror is not, you know, compatible with the rest and he will do, he's a contrarian. And, and that happens too. So there's a chance he's convicted. There's a chance he's acquitted. There's a chance he's a hung jury. And, and in, in this case, you know, hung jury is a real possibility because, you know, this is different than a regular legal case. This is a legal political maelstrom. And, and so you're going to have people who just feel so strongly one way or another that they're going to put the facts and the law aside, possibly, and, and vote with how they feel personally. Right. And that's not how it's supposed to work. So if he's convicted, if he goes to trial, there's a chance he's convicted, of course. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a trial, be a directed verdict. Um, so you just don't know what's going to happen. And it's scary because the first case, again, the Manhattan case, which is the one I was involved in, that criminal case where, you know, they're trying to say that he, he, he violated federal election campaign laws, which he did. He just did not. Um, not in that case. Um, in any event, so that's going to go to trial. If he's convicted there, you know, there, it's a felony. Um, Judge Marchand has a wide range of options on sentencing. Um, but but here's the thing. If he's convicted and he's a convicted felon running for president, I think that really puts a, a damper on any. Well, that hurts. Yeah. No, that hurts. You're right. No, I can't, even I can't argue that. Yeah. yeah, hard yeah, to argue. Yeah. I mean, I remember Donald Trump said when he was going against Clinton, and she was just under investigation that she really should be disqualified from running for president because she's under investigation. Right. Um, and it will detract her from her duties. <laughs> a little different yeah. now, huh? Yeah, no, listen, and uh, the country is depending on his win, the world. I got news for you. I was in Israel last week, and I can't tell you how many Israelis are sick to their stomach about Biden and want Trump to be back there. So the world is literally praying and hoping for Trump to win and uh, they may screw him. We'll see. Let me get to this the story. Best yeah. The best chance, by the way, of Trump winning is Biden running. Right. right. I mean, Agreed. That's the best chance. Of no, of course. So we, don't, Biden we, we, we don't want that okay. Michelle Obama Gavin Newsom ticket, I can tell you that. Um, right. Jennifer Crombley was found guilty of four counts of manslaughter on Tuesday. This is the first parent. This is precedence. This is record here. The first parent in the U.S. to be charged over a mass school shooting committed by their child. Her son did the shooting, but yet she was found guilty of four counts. Let me just say this before I get to you as a legal expert. I love it. I am so sick and tired, even going back to Klebold and Harris uh, in, um, in, in Colorado, in Littleton, Colorado there, that these parents have no idea that their kids are collecting guns and ammunition and making bombs. Some of them actually have legal guns in the house. They know their kids are using the guns. I think, Columbine, I think this is a great ruling, and it's about time some of these parents who all of a sudden distance themselves from their own kids pay part of the price. I loved this verdict. What about you? You know, at first, I, I didn't love the fact that anyone was charged for someone else's crime. I mean, yes, it's their kid. Um, but there are a lot of parents out there whose children do horrible things, and they're good people, and they didn't know, and they have no idea, and you can't. we don't want to start charging every parent because they gave birth to a sociopath. Um, but this is a different case, Sid, and I'm with you on this one. You know, it's not to me, again, I don't think it, it should be the norm that if a, a, a underage adult 
commits a crime that the parents automatically deem responsible legally and is brought to trial because that opens up a floodgate of things and it's not sure. fair. Right. And, and sometimes there are other kids who will be affected, right? Other children. Fair. This is a different case. This case is as egregious as you'll see. This is the worst parent maybe of all time based on what I've seen. Wow. And what I mean by that is, you know, the, it's, it's the facts in this case. I, before I came on, I really studied the trial transcript and the facts. And I have to tell you, this was insanely I mean, they, they, let's start with the fact that she and her husband gave him a gun for his 16th birthday, okay? Ignored his mental health struggles. Declined to take him home when confronted with his violent drawings at school on the day of the shooting. So I don't know if you saw it, but the, there was a drawing that came to evidence that in this case, the kid just drew a sketch the day of the shooting. And what he did was have that 9 millimeter gun that they gave him for his, you know, birthday. Oh, my God. 16th birthday. So you and I, our 16th birthday, got a jersey, got a football. Right, right. You know, I, got, I, got, I got the new cards. I got the new card set for Stratomatic. <laughs> Stratomatic. Exactly. <laughs> Me too. I still have them, by the way. So I still have them. But, but, but putting that aside, I, I was looking at them the other night. They're the most beautiful. They're like a walk of I'm getting off track. The, 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 this kid got a 9 millimeter gun, and he drew a sketch of his 9mm gun, himself holding it, a bullet with the words blood everywhere and help me. The day of the shooting, the school calls the parents in, come in and, and let's talk about Junior and his grades and his sketching and all that stuff. And what do you think they do? The, the parents say basically, he's fine. Right. That's just him being artistic. We're right. not taking him home. Right. We refuse to take him home and you, you can't pull him out of school. And later that day, said. Later that day, he committed this mass shooting. Oh my God! So these, these are, it's, it's yeah. just, it's beyond belief. In his diary, my parents won't help me or listen to me. I need a therapist, but they won't help me. I have zero help for my mental problems, and it's causing me to shoot up the effing school. Mm. Literally wrote that in his diary. Mm. His mom didn't care, and, and and you know what? She deserves to be convicted in this case. I I don't say it lightly, especially as a defense lawyer, because it's some serious stuff we're talking about here. Yeah. But this was a case where the facts were overwhelming mm. that she made it clear. She earned, earned this, this conviction. My friend Jennifer Harrison, who has her, her own uh, victims' rights New York deal here on Long Island, her boyfriend was murdered many years ago, and uh, she just texted me, now we have to start holding these parents in the city responsible for their kids acting like animals. And, you know, you make a good point, Joseph. You know, it's dangerous. You know, not, you're right. Not every parent knows everything the kids are doing, and they shouldn't be charged. But I have a feeling a lot more parents should be charged than are, that we don't look hard enough at the parents. I agree. That I agree with you. With it. I agree with you. I mean, when, when kids are, 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 are popping off at home and saying violent things and, and, and displaying um, desires to have weapons and guns, and, and, and the parents basically just go on their day, go on about their day, and, and don't, don't look into it, don't care, don't seek to get their kids help, they are they're putrid human beings to me. They're people who don't deserve children, and they turn someone who has mental health issues loose on society. Mental health's a real thing. Yeah. You know, said yeah. you and I, we grew up in an era where you know you didn't have mental health issues. You're just an idiot, right? Or, or you know, get tough. You know, take another notch. Well, on those, those are the day, those are the days you could call somebody a retard without getting fired, and that's what you were. You're coming, you're, you know, but don't be a wussy. Don't be a retard. Right, exactly. Let's go. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Don't be a retard. Right. But but now you know it's it's we're in a different world, man. Yeah. Completely different world. And and so I agree with you. There's some parents. The warning signs are there. They ignore them. And and you know it's really old. And by the way, any of these kids who have problems, there are mental health issues for sure. 
in this world that, that are hard to really grapple with unless you understand it. Yeah. And I, you know, understand a little bit more now than I ever have. But I will tell you this, um, you know, the fact that some of these parents allow their kids to do what they do um, and, and almost condone it by not taking action really says a lot about them as parents. And you know what? When they go and their kids do something violent like this and destroy other lives and you're a parent and you take no responsibility for making sure that you're turning a, a, a young person into this world that's not a danger to the rest of the world, you are legally responsible. And this case, really, it's a watershed case, right? It's the first time this has ever yeah, happened yeah. in American history. This is a year, I mean, really this year between the Trump indictments and this, this is like our legal system has been turned on its head. No, you're right about that. Yeah, you're, that's right. President indicted four times. This case for the parent, uh, for a guy like you, who's um, who's turned himself into the greatest lawyer in the world. It is a very, very big year uh, for your uh, for your industry, I guess. But listen, you are great, and uh, enjoy the game on Sunday. I will play the tape on Monday. One of us is going to be right. <laughs> Unlike hockey, there ain't going to be a tie in this game. So we'll, uh, we'll we'll talk on Monday. Enjoy the Super Bowl, buddy. I love you. Great job as always, Joseph okay, Tacopina. You're great. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, that's you. my Bye. guy. I love you too, Joseph Tacopina, the best defense attorney in the world. And that was a great conversation. From the Super Bowl to President Donald Trump to this case, which he talked about the first ever a parent actually charged after her son shot up a school in Michigan, and in this case at least, Takapina and Sid Rosenberg agree it was the right thing to do. Peter King, Judge Janine, still a come. First, journey, separate ways. Friends in the morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. So I was talking to Joe Theismann yesterday. Joe Theismann, quarterback, the Washington Redskins. 
the two straight Super Bowls back in the 70s. His Redskins beat the Miami Dolphins, and then he got blown out by Marcus Allen and the Los Angeles Raiders. And Theismann has been a good friend of mine for years. Smart guy, entrepreneur, owns restaurants. You know, he's on CNBC, Fox Business, all the time. Lawrence Taylor ended his career in gruesome fashion on Monday Night Football many, many, many years ago. But he's a smart guy. He's done well for himself, you know. And he's going to join us on Friday. So tomorrow we get Mike Francesa, the uh, the Pope, the all-time great, Mike and the Mad Dog, Big Mike, and Bill O'Reilly in the 8 o'clock hour. Francesa talking Super Bowl tomorrow. Theismann and maybe Bill Sims, too, talking Super Bowl on Friday. But usually I'll be headed to Vegas. That I did for so many years, but not this year. Uh, of course, I just came back from Israel, and I've got this huge event at the Fifth Avenue Synagogue on Saturday night. They're honoring me with the Guardian of Israel Award, and that means a lot more to me than the Chiefs and the 49ers. So I don't care that I'm not going. I don't even have a Super Bowl party to go to. I, I, don't, I just don't want to do it. I just I, I stay home with my wife and kids. And But I did get invited by Anthony Grimaldi's Pizza. I love those guys. Grimaldi's Pizza. Anthony invited me to a private Super Bowl party, and I uh, haven't answered Anthony yet, so I'm answering you now because I know you listen every day. I'm probably just going to stay home, but I appreciate the invite. I'm honored and humbled, but I'm tired, and uh, Sunday nights are rough for me because i got to be up at 3 o'clock a.m. Monday morning, and next week we got five shows, or no days off, so I think I'll do what I do most years now since I'm out of the sports business, kind of. And that is just stay home. Watch it with my son. Smart. You can't see the game at a party anyway. No, nah, yeah. it's a pain in the ass. You don't see it. People right. are talking. They're coming what's up. The, uh, what's the the, uh, the halftime show this year? They suck, too. Usher. Usher. What black person? Oh, Usher. Usher. Okay, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Taylor Swift's going to be at the game. So my, yeah, whole, my whole thinking is, why? if you're the NFL, why wouldn't you just reach out to her? Hey, quick 30-second cameo. Because she's white. Ah. Yeah, and Jay-Z is in charge of uh, the halftime shows. Right. Like, he needs the money. Right, yeah. This uh, Jay-Z, who was complaining, you know, he actually intimated it was racist that Taylor Swift beat his wife, Beyonce, for the Grammy Award. Yeah, he yeah. says they're not yeah. getting it yeah. right, the Grammys. Yeah. The I didn't even know like, Beyonce came out an album. They haven't won enough awards and made enough money, this son of a bitch. Right. Give me a break, Jay-Z. If yeah. that doesn't bring attention to why they're in the music business, the win yeah. awards and make my yeah, head Please. Play. Where's Will Smith when you need him? And by the way, I like yeah. Usher. <laughs> Usher is really good. Yeah, right, smack him in the face. Usher's good. I mean, he can dance, he can sing. Yeah, he's talented. Yeah, you know, he's talented. Yeah, I like him. I, I don't mean, think he's had a hit since, right, like... Right, uh, 2003, but... Uh, I thought even before that. Something like that. Like, Reagan was Way president. back when. Yeah. When everything was just... I remember when they brought the Who on a couple of years ago, and everybody mm-hmm. went nuts. Oh, they're 100 years old, the Stones, too. Yeah. But if he's black, and it's Usher, who hasn't had a hit in 22 years, that's okay. Bruce's Springsteen, uh, Bruce's uh, halftime show was great. Bruce was great, yeah. So was Tom Petty. Teddy was great. So was um, so was you too. You too. Uh-huh. They were great too. That's it. But there, I mean, I, I like Michael Jackson. I was at the Super Bowl, the rainy night in Miami, Prince. when Peyton Manning and the Colts beat the Bears for Prince. Yes, yeah, he was great. Of yeah. course, yeah. Of course, you're never going to see those acts. No, 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 no. bunch no. of just uh, the convicts. Oh yeah. Well, what can you Here's do? Here's some for you. This is a good song. Yeah. That's all I know. <laughs> so he doesn't I break right into my white man's overbite when this comes on. Uh, I do that stupid safe, pelvic yeah. white man motion. Yeah, for sure. Pretty safe. Look like though. you're convulsing, like you're about to have some type of epileptic fit. I don't know. So after he does a 16-minute version of this, he can go to commercials. And come back for- <laughs> yeah. Right. 
This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Bicycle, bicycle, bicycle. I want to ride my bicycle, bicycle, bicycle. I want to ride my bicycle. Oh, clean classic right here at 8.54 on your hump day. Tunnel at the Towers Wednesday morning. I say it all the time, the two best politicians in my lifetime in New York, Rudy Giuliani and Peter King. Peter, of course, spent all those years as a congressman out on Long Island, also Homeland Security. And now he's got a really important voice here on WABC with me, with John, all over the place. Uh, Pete, good Wednesday morning, buddy. How are you? I'm doing great, Sid. I really am. By the way, what a pleasure to listen to Joe Tacopina. That guy is great. I, I, I went to law school. I don't know. I have as much as Joe Tacopina <laughs> does. He's really great. Now he, thank you for saying that. He is great. And uh, you never would have known it because, uh, again, at the risk of repetition, uh, many, many years ago when Polly Prep came out with their annual yearbook, the two kids in the same class least likely to succeed we're a fifth grade Joseph Tacopina and a fifth grade Sidney Rosenberg. So we got the last I, laugh. I can, I, yeah, I can partly understand that one. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> hey, before we get to Mozzie, yeah. I want to bring this story up to you. I, I'm not sure if you were listening earlier, but I, I made sure I said something very nice about Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman. I love him right. anyway, and we've uh, we've socialized together, our wives, uh, Peter, you and Rosemary and, and Bruce and me and Danielle, and I love the guy. I think he's a great executive and maybe bigger things to come. So when this scumbag uh, pops up on Long Island, this uh, Palestinian uh, lowlife, ripping down Israeli flags uh, and, and doing all that stuff, Jew-hating Palestinian migrant who pummeled the homeowner after taking his pro-Israel flag down, I thought the response from Blakeman and you were great. I know you probably met with Pat Ryder, the Nassau County Police Commissioner, about this too, but those are the types of responses we need. And by the way, this goes back to immigration, illegal immigration, the whole thing with Mozzie, but I thought your response on the island, Pete, was great. No, it really was. I mean, Bruce uh, uh, Blakeman is all over this. Uh, he has said Nassau will never be a sanctuary county. He is the police working full-time. Pat Ryder, uh, in fact, I was in a meeting with the police yesterday on this. This is getting their top attention. And to make it personal to you, that Christmas party that you were at with the SIS detectives back in uh, December, those are the guys who were handling this case. Some of the guys you met that night are all over this case. Vincent McCormick, the sergeant, the commander there, he has them working on it. Pat Ryder is all out. This is a full-court press. Because if you let one or two of these things get away, you can lose control of the whole county. You know, we've seen that in New York City. You can't let these guys get any kind of a foothold. You let them get away with anything, they end up getting you know, getting away with everything. So, no, Bruce is absolutely committed. This is an all-out effort. To, first of all, they're fully investigating us, how we got here, where he came from, any other connections he has, whether or not there's more here involved in this, and also sending a signal to any other dirtbag that has the thought of going into a neighborhood like Eula, which is a wonderful Jewish neighborhood in the five-town area of Nassau County. In fact, Bruce lives nearby. He's a you know totally local guy. This is not going to be tolerated in Nassau County ever. Yeah, love to hear that. In fact, uh, Dove Hikins Temple in Woodmere, I was at uh, not that long ago. And it's a lovely, lovely place. You guys, again, did a great job. And I believe that was such a great dinner. I want to say, was it Hendricks Tavern? Is that right? Yeah, that's the one, yeah. How yeah, about that? George Washington slept there or something. I yes, don't know. Yes, yes. It's a great place, though. It, it is a great place. Long flight of stairs. 
And then uh, then they couldn't get rid of you. You had all those cops there were talking to you and talking to you. <laughs> but they really were there for Danielle. So that's the other story. I don't want to tell you that. <laughs> well, I... Um... My my thought is, whatever Danielle and I go anywhere, they're all there for Danielle, not me. So listen, I, I got to take a quick break, but when I get back, it's crunch time, Pete. We are now a week away from this yep. big election. You and Joe Cairo made the choice. I had Mozzie again on the show yep. yesterday. She's been on with me three times. I'm very, very impressed. So is Curtis Lee. Well, let's take a short break, come back, and talk about this big election with Pete King, Mozzie Pillow. Go out and vote, Republicans. More with Peter King right after this. WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Do this. Mozzie Pillip was back uh, for a third time yesterday, and I love this lady. IDF soldier, paratrooper, uh, on the right side of everything. And I hope she uh, wipes the floor with Tom Swazi next week. I just urge, I compel all the Republican voters and independents. We're not getting Dems, I get it. But the Republicans and the independents to make the right choice. And that's Mozzie Pillip, and who knows that better than me, but the man who has campaigned with her almost every day for the last month, and that is Pete King back with me. Yeah, Pete, I thought she was uh, very impressive yesterday. She's ready to go. And certainly getting the NYPD sergeant's endorsement doesn't hurt because at the end of the day, Mozzie Pillip backs the blue and Tom Swazi wants to defund the blue. That is a major win, in my opinion, for Mozzie. And there's another major win today. She's being endorsed by the Border Patrol Council. There's the Border Patrol Union. They're going to come here to endorse her, which is, again, a great tribute to her. And there's all good developments. Michael Goodwin's column in the Post today was phenomenal. Full-page column uh, endorsing Mozzie. And then Curtis. Curtis is in this 100%. Curtis and Vicky Palladino, Joe Cairo, they're coordinating walkthroughs in Queens. Now, Curtis did very well against Eric Adams in the uh, mayor's race uh, last year, two years ago, whenever it was. He's very popular in that section. Vicky Palladino. And by the way, even though the Democrats in Northeast Queens, uh, they are the last uh, vestige of common sense Democrats. Vicky Palladino, he's three to one Democrat. She wins by 20 points. So these are Democrats that do support the cops, do support Border Patrol, not like, unfortunately, other parts of New York City. This is one area. So anyway, Curtis is in there with his network, with Vicky's group. Joe Cairo. Is, uh, is, so is, is, that, is, that, is that Bob Holden's area, too? No, he's down in Middle Village. And, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, that area down there, uh, Woodhaven. But, uh, no, uh, Northeast Queens, it's, uh, uh, you know, twice he even lost this to Kathy Hochul when he ran for governor. He lost his own district, wow. you know, when he ran against Kathy Hochul. <laughs> but uh, every, everything is looking good now. 
Mozzie's polls have her ahead. I understand even Swazi's polls barely have him even. So this is definitely going her way. But everyone's got to get out there. We can't take anything for granted. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries and the Democrats are going to be bringing in people from all over the place, campaigning and throwing in money. But right now, I mean, I've been in a lot of campaigns, and I'm not in any way claiming victory. But I've never seen a momentum going the way it's going right now. We had an event the other night, Joe Cairo had at the Millerbridge Cottage, overflowing with people. And this was a paid event, by the way. So these were people that are coming in. They want, you know, they put their money where their mouth is, the yep. enthusiasm, the level. And, and Mozzie is great. She gets better each day. I thought she was great to begin with. And the only thing is, uh, my wife, Rosemary, is very jealous of Mozzie. I tell her this. She can't imagine anybody can look that good, have seven kids, and campaign 24-7. It's just beyond human endurance. Yeah, she she is. She's kind of like Trump in that respect. You know how much I love Trump. And uh, she does look great. And uh, listen, again, I I love her. Been on this show three times. Was very impressive yesterday. We talked about how she backs the blue. The other issue is we just talked about this this low-life pro-Palestinian in your neighborhood who who beat up and uh, stole an Israeli flag. Immigration. I mean, we've got documentation. It's written documentation where Tom Swazi, I want you to listen carefully, folks, okay? Tom Swazi is actually tipping off migrants, illegals, on how to avoid ICE. That's another huge win for Mozzie. Oh, certainly is. He made a crusade brag about the fact how he threw ICE out of Nassau County. And he, I guess, tried to say that somehow he didn't go along with all the tactics. That's BS. ICE is in Suffolk County, and there they have a Democratic sheriff. And he has ICE there working with him. He consults with them. ICE does a phenomenal job. They're indispensable. If we're going to get immigration under control, illegal immigration under control, you have to have ICE. Tom Swazi threw him out of Nassau County. Now he's trying to say that he's a big ICE supporter. He'll go back and forth. The fact is, when it was, when it was crunch time, and ICE was needed, they were thrown out of Nassau County. So uh, in wrapping up this great conversation, Pete, and again, the election is February the 13th, which is one day before Valentine's Day, literally in six days coming up on Tuesday. What um, what do you envision? You're with Mazi almost all the time. What does she do for the next six days trying to ensure a victory come Tuesday? Well, actually, only five days. She doesn't campaign on the Sabbath. Uh, she's very observant oh, right, that, right. that way. Yeah. yeah. But no, uh, she will be uh, out there going every place possible, going to the Asian communities, obviously the Jewish communities, but also just going rank and file voters. She's out there in the community, and we will have hundreds, if not thousands, of people out of the streets going door to door, especially in places like Massapequa, uh, which is very, uh, very heavy Italian American community. I ran there for 28 years. They're the best people in the world. Swazi thinks he's going to make inroads that he won't. You, everywhere you go, there's Mozzie signs, people in the streets. Joe Cairo is an army of over 1,000 people, and they are out there every day, especially on weekends. They will be going door-to-door, phone calls being made, social media, everything you come in. I'm, I'm doing robocalls for, for Mozzie, as are others. Bruce Blakeman is campaigning hard. Anthony Diaz-Bazito is campaigning hard. I mean, they are going all out on this one. And because we really we need it. I told Mozzie, I said, Mozzie, as much as I love you, more important, what this is going to do for the country. When she's yeah. down there, she's going to get national and international attention, and AOC will be thrown off to the side. Mazi will be the face, the new face of the Republican Party. Love it. And get real people. Love it. Love her. Pro-Israel, baby. That's all I know. Pro-Israel. Yeah, and uh, Yeah, and uh, not a good day for me because, you know, the House, they were not able to pass the standalone Israel bill for 18 
uh, for excuse me, eighteen. Uh, yeah, eighteen. Uh, not eighteen billion. But uh, at any rate, uh, I want you and Mozzie to come on before Tuesday, Pete. And um, right. So so let Mozzie know both of you guys will come on one more kind of late push before the election, and hopefully by the time you're back next Wednesday for your regular spot, we'll be celebrating a Mozzie Pillip win in your neighborhood. Absolutely. Thank you, those Pete. appearances on your show are really having an impact. You both say, yeah. Again, I'm on all the time. Nobody cares. Mozzie's <laughs> on three times. I love it. So, I guess you Jewish guys stick together, you know? <laughs> well, she was she was so sweet yesterday when I told her I yes. just spent the last week in Israel. She was, you heard it, Pete. She was, yes. that was heartfelt. She was like, oh, my God, thank you. So I love her and I love you, and we're going to get a win next week. We'll do it early in the week, okay, it. buddy? Thank you, Pete. You got it. Okay. All right. I love you, man. That's uh, Pete King, the great congressman out there on Long Island, and they got a uh, special lady running against the career hack, Tom Swazi next week. Mozzie Pillip going to win, but again, like Pete said and I said, Republican voters, independent voters, and common-sense Democrat voters go out there next week and put the right person in D.C. You will not be sorry. Mozzie Pillip for the win. Not just stepping stones. Not just stepping Is sit in friends in the morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. The long and winding road that leads to your door. Will never disappear. I've seen that road before. It always leads me here. Lead me to your door. The wild and windy night that the rain. Beatles. And yes, folks, again, 60 years ago today, 60 years ago today, the Beatles landed at Kennedy Airport. Unbelievable moment. Two days later, they made their debut on the Ed Sullivan Show. But 60 years ago today, the Beatles landed at Kennedy Airport. And I can't help but think, as we discussed earlier, that John Lennon, would be at the very front of the line of every pro-Palestinian parade. 
rally we've seen. And I love the Beatles. I love the Beatles. Love them. But well, that son of a gun would be right there at the front of the line. Hey, before I get to uh, Judge Janine. Uh, he and Yoko would be. Him like and Yoko, right. With robes on. <laughs> yeah, you can just see those two idiots. Well, you know, it's, ro- it's wrong right now. You know, it is wrong. Killing is never right. You know, it's not good. Yoko and I were just smoking last night, so it's not good. Sorry. Take a shower, too, by the way. You both stink in bed all day well, long. I wrote a song about that, too. <laughs> yeah. Yoko's going to scream now. Hey, Noam, give me the latest uh, before I get to Janine. Why is Donald Trump celebrating Nikki Haley's demise in the Nevada primary. What happened? Oh, it was a savage night for Nikki Haley. So there was a Republican primary in Nevada yesterday. Then there'll be a caucus later this week on Thursday. The caucus is the one that delivers the delegates to the winner. She's not taking part in that. She took part in this primary that took part yesterday. And she came in second place. First place went to none of the candidates on the ballot. <laughs> Trump was not on the ballot. Oh, my God. So none of the candidates <laughs> above or below oh. got 63% of the vote. Oh. Nikki Haley came in second at 30%. Oh, God, somebody get me a cigarette. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it was not, it was not oh, pretty. Oh, so good. Don't you worry, I'm coming. She's only down 24 right now in South Carolina, this uh, idiot. Anyway, uh, Judge Janine Pirro is a national treasure. She's the best talent Fox has. And I say it right to Waters and Kilmeade's face, I don't care. She's on the 5 every day at 5. She does a great radio show here every Sunday morning. And she's uh, here with me every Wednesday morning, the great Judge Janine Pirro. Good morning, Judge. Good morning. Uh, You know, I was wondering why you were playing that melancholy music, the long and winding road by the Beatles. I'm like, oh, my God, she's so depressed. And now now I'll have a cigarette with you when you said, I mean, I I think it should be a cigarette. I had to laugh. I mean, you know, I I don't smoke, but I mean, I can do it. You'll start now. right? I got to tell you, this woman, I mean, her arrogance and her attacks, I mean, look, I give her credit, and I have given her credit over the past year for some of the things she said and done. But you know what? Enough, Nikki. You've been used. You were used by the left just to get at Trump. It wasn't about you. It was never really about you. But in any event, uh, let's move on so I I get out of this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it is one of their best songs, uh, the Beatles, of course. I could have. No, I don't think it is. I mean, you know, you may like it, but I mean, God, give me something with a little more life. Well, what do you like? I like, see, I like yesterday also. It's also kind of melancholy. Yeah, that's another one. I, there was a, a, I don't, I don't want to talk what about it. What, what is your, what, what, I played Hey Jude earlier. I played, uh, what is your favorite Beatles song? Uh, probably some jerky song when I was a kid. I want to hold your hand or something. Right, you so know, you can I, dance, But yeah. I love Queen. Yeah. I love Queen. I mean, and I love Toby Keith. I'm so depressed about Toby Keith. You know, I, I was able to meet him several times. I mean, here's a guy who literally brought millions to the country music genre. Uh, you know, he was proud of America. After 9-11, you know, he had that song, uh, you know. Uh, red, Curtis, white, and blue. Red, white, and blue. Yeah. You know, put a boot in their ass. And uh, everybody was like, oh, my gosh, that's terrible. He said it. <laughs> You know, well, I guess he had the right instincts from the get-go, yeah. but he was a great guy, and I'm sad and sorry yeah. to see him. No, no, I'm with you. By the way, we did play Queen earlier today. We played I Want to Ride My Bicycle, but uh, in terms of Toby, <laughs> we did do a yeah. whole tribute to Toby yesterday. And, um, did you? Yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, now, look, i got to tell you, Red Solo Cup is the worst song in the history of music, the worst. But, it's uh, not my favorite. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, Toby Keith, I should have been a cowboy 
Right. Uh, right. You know, there are so many. Um, th- there's one song, Does That Blue Moon Ever Shine On You? Who's Your I Daddy? Mean, Beer for the Horses. These are all great songs. Yeah, beer for the <laughs> Yeah, but I, I'll tell you this. Whiskey for my men and beer for the horses. Yeah. My kind of guy. Me too. He but, was my kind of guy. Me too, but if you ever want to see. Like my guys? No, but if you ever want to see what um, what happens to a person when they get cancer, and I lost my partner and your good friend too, Bernard loved you to cancer, but yeah. Bernard weighed about 80 pounds soaking wet when he was healthy, so you wouldn't know it. Yeah. But Toby yeah. Keith was this big, burly he was, guy. He was like 75 pounds when he died. It was yeah. awful. Yeah. He was a mountain of a man. I have pictures, and uh, I put them on my uh, Instagram. Uh, with with Toby Keith, I mean, you know, he was he was a mountain of a man. Uh, he was every, he was a man's man, but he was also a woman's man. You know, I mean, he just he was the best. And sixty two is way too young, and yeah. I lost my mom to uh, stomach cancer also. Oh anyway. my God, I'm sorry. Yeah. Jeez, yeah, you talk no, about the, you I talk have, about yeah. the, the Beatles being melancholy. Jesus, yeah, well, you got me in that mood. So let's just keep on moving. Dear well, my let, let, let's keep it there. I, I, I'm melancholy because there were two uh, things. Uh, decisions, I guess, involving the House yesterday that made me melancholy. One is my standalone Israel bill because I'm sick of giving money to the Ukraine and up with that nonsense. Yep. Uh, yep. That failed in the House, $18 billion. And secondly, mm-hmm. I knew the Senate wouldn't happen, but I really thought the House was going to move forward with impeaching Mayorkas. How did both of those things happen on the same day? They're both very melancholy. Well, oh, they're both very disappointing. Obviously, uh, you know, the new Speaker of the House is uh, kind of an amateur. Uh, he didn't know whether or not he had the votes. Uh, and I got to tell you, these these two guys, uh, the, the congressmen who didn't want to vote for impeachment, said, well, I've spoken to people, and they tell me constitutionally there are no grounds. So are you stupid? I mean, here's the bottom line. <laughs> this guy has been lying to the American people for the two and a half years that he's been in office or whatever the number is. Um, and, and the amazing part of it is that he is smug, he's arrogant, he's condescending. And the guy deserves to be impeached. I mean, if you want to talk about a dereliction of duty, he made the crisis worse. He violated the public trust. He refused to comply with the federal immigration law. And then and then this idiot says he didn't know that Biden was using the word crisis to describe the border. Now, what does that tell you? I got to tell you, my in my brain. So Mayorkas doesn't know that Biden said it was a crisis. And Biden doesn't know that General Austin is out as, as the men and women in, in the service in our service in Iraq and Syria getting hit and then, of course, killed in Jordan. Uh, I mean, you know, nobody's in charge there. Nobody's talking to anybody. And then yesterday, Biden comes out that half wit and he can't think of the word uh, uh, Hamas. And he says, uh, 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 you know, opposition. Uh, opposition. Yeah. Are yeah. you kidding yeah. me? Well, opposition. I mean, this was. Stupid? Yeah, I mean, this was the day after he confused a guy that's been dead since 1996 with Macron. So, I mean, it's kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. I'll tell you what I'm happy about. I'm happy about that so-called immigration uh, bill, a so-called border security. That did nothing but make it clear that two million could come in every year and that we are mandating it and legalizing it. And, you know, Biden is such a fool. He says, I need money to fix it. Give me the power. Well, you know what? Donald Trump didn't have the power. Donald Trump didn't have money. You tried to stop him every step of the way. You called him a xenophobe in every name in the book, and he was able to stop it or get it down to 70000 a month in the worst month. 
and now you're saying that you need money? You know what? Think about how much it's costing us, Sid, to not stop them at the border. Mm, yep. Impact on the schools and the hospitals. You know, expenses incurred by the states. And now in New York City, we want to give them credit cards of $53 million in addition mm, to mm. SNAP and WIC. Yeah. American women don't get that money. In addition to SNAP and women, infant children, we don't, they don't get an additional credit card. I mean, and, and I, I know you like him, but I don't like him. Okay, this guy Adams is a fool. And every day he gets out there and he says, you know what? The city council passed a law that prevents the police from cooperating with ICE. You know, he pontificates. You know what? Somebody said to him, well, is there any way you can get that changed? Can you overturn it? He says, well, I guess we're going to have to check that yeah. out. We're going to have to <laughs> yeah. look into it. Well, let me what? just let me just amend what you just said. Um, I do like him. I like him personally. We've had dinners and lunches, and he's always very affable and very nice. But no. that's but but his job is to, is to fix this city. Exactly. And I said to Michael Goodwin, very very good New York Post columnist yesterday that you can actually make a pretty good argument. So before you say I like him, you can make a pretty good, pretty good argument that Eric Adams really has not been much better than Bill de Blasio. So while I like him personally, I think he has been failing miserably as the mayor. I would, I'd rather have Andrew Cuomo, to be honest. Well, well, let me tell you something. You know, with all due respect, I don't care if you like him, okay? Because <laughs> it's not a popularity contest. Right. The bottom line is this. Yeah. Is this guy doing a job for the city when they elected him as a former police captain? No. And what he does with these dirtbag illegals yep. who beat down a law enforcement and cops, New York City police are furious, both with him and with Bragg. When Bragg turns around and Bragg says, well, um, we didn't ask for bail after he remained silent for the first couple of days. He figured an answer. He said, we didn't ask for bail because, you know, we want to make sure we got the right guy. Well, wait a minute. Why did you charge him with a Class C violent felony for which bail it's bail-eligible crime? Huh? He's on video, too. What do you mean the right guy? They've got the video of the attack. And, they've got yeah, videos. They've yeah. got three And, and by the way, you, you, you can... you can like they have unwilling victims Right. Here, but... but- but you can move this, Janine, from the mayor to the governor because this louse, who I put in the same class as, as the mayor, uh, this louse comes out all of a sudden now. She cares about bail reform. She cares about the illegals. Now, you know the answer to this. Who is the only person that can fire Alvin Bragg today? Kathy Hochul. Correct. But she won't do it. She won't do it because she needs Bragg to take down Donald Trump. That's all she cares about. Not the illegals, not bail reform, not this city, not this state. She's a phony biatch. Uh, Well, you know what? I won't call her that, but I'll tell you, she's worthless. She's calling for deportation and she's calling. I want them prosecuted. Oh, give me a, you know, give me a break. The bottom line is you're you're in charge of whether or not bail is allowed or bail is 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 bail eligible crimes. And you you will you I can't even talk. I'm so angry. She says you hold people until you figure out what happened. You're stupid, too. You can't hold people until you figure out what happened. You either arrest them and detain them or you let them go. She's so stupid. Oh, she's and the then when she, all of a sudden, she, I want them prosecuted. I want them deported. Well, why don't you go talk to Joe Biden? Yeah. Why don't you change the laws? Why don't you have a put legislation in the governor's legislative package? Yeah. Why New York is a right-to-shelter state. You're required to house them. 
Why don't you change that? Why are you making landlord or landmark hotels eligible for shelters for illegals? And these mopeds and these crimes that they're committing, they're single women on the street. I don't care if they're 20 or 60. And if you're carrying a phone or a purse, you're in big trouble. And we, let, we, let, we allow them in and we're like, oh, somebody should do something. But nobody can figure out who. Judge Janine Pirro. On fire again, week after week, she delivers the goods. Now, uh, you and I spoke last week when I was in Israel, and yeah. um, it was cute because it actually turned into you interviewing me, which uh, Bill O'Reilly did the same thing the following day. It was very cute. Um, but what do you think about this, talking about this uh, Biden? Biden last week referring to Bibi Netanyahu as a quote-unquote effing bad guy. Hello? You're kidding. No, he did. He referred to Bibi as an effing bad guy, Joe Biden. You know what? (laughs) I, I, I really am not surprised. He is a man without his marbles, Biden. Uh, he doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, he says the same thing about Trump, and, he, and we know from prior reports he says the same thing about his staff. They're afraid to approach him because he curses them out, uh, and there's, like, no discussion with him. And the guy is out of control. He doesn't know what's going on. And we already know he doesn't talk to his secretaries or his generals, and, you know, he can't even talk to the American people. He can't think of the word Hamas. I mean, come on. <laughs> well. He's got to go. He's got to you know go. But I'm telling you, he's not going to be the candidate. No, I know. I mean, Cindy Adams, I don't know if you read uh, Cindy's column today in the New York Post. but no, I didn't. Well, she quoted Michelle Obama as saying, I'm ready to run. That's stunning because everything I've heard uh, about people who know her is that that's the last thing she wants to do. Yep. Um, and, you know, she uh, that'll be very interesting. Is, is this a direct quote? Is it hearsay? Is it double hearsay? Did Cindy hear it or did someone tell Cindy that? Now, that's a great question. That's why you're a great journalist and I'm not. Um, I'm just a dopey radio guy. But I believe that she heard it from somebody else. But I'll read it and you'll read it after the show. But she did get yeah. that. She's the only person to put that in print. I mean, Roger Stone said it on this show with me. Steve Bannon said it on this show with me. They are convinced it's going to be Obama and Newsom, 1,000% convinced. But it is in Cindy Adams' column today, so which would be a nightmare yeah. for us, a nightmare. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But uh, look, there's a lot that can happen between now and November, but one thing I'm sure of, and that is that Joe Biden is not going to be on the ticket. The man is incapable of speaking. I mean, I, I get anxiety every time he goes out. I, I'm like, <laughs> is he going to stumble? Is he going to fall? Oh, my God, I don't want to laugh. at. I really, you know what, I, I have a sharp tongue, but at the same time, you know, he's my president. I want to be proud of him. But he goes out there every day and proves he's inept, and the people around him are like, oh, my goodness, he's wonderful. Wonderful. I love oh, Joe please, Biden. I mean, please. these are smart people. What's wrong with them? I don't know. They're a rough group themselves. I mean, I get the same way. I watched Anthony Blinken in Qatar yesterday with BB Today, and I get that same anxious feeling like, is this the best we can do? But it is what it is, like you said, till yep. at least uh, November. Uh, I'll be watching you today because you're smart, you're beautiful, and everybody loves you. I don't know anybody in New York that doesn't love Judge Jeanine Pirro. <laughs> not one person. Not one person. Oh, well, then you're not talking to I don't, I, don't, I don't talk. I moved out of the Upper West Side because of that. What are you kidding me? They put yeah, my they put my picture up in the lobby because I wouldn't wear a mask during COVID. 
Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm so sick of all this nonsense. Anyway, too. I love you. Have a great day. You too, Janine. Great job. Thank you, sweetheart. Take Thank care. you. She's the best. Judge Janine Pirro. Check her out on The Five every weekday afternoon on Fox News. And, of course, Sunday morning after Rudy and Maria right here on WABC. Let's take a quick break. Got about 25 minutes to go. Here's some more of the late, great Toby Keith. This is for you, Janine. Toby Keith. Sitting friends. Recognize when we see old glory flying. There's a lot of men dead. So we can sleep in peace at night when we lay down our heads. My daddy served in the army. We lost his right eye, but he flew a flag out in our yard. Till the day that he died, he wanted my mother, my brother, my sister and me to grow up and live happy in the land of the free. Now this nation that I love is falling under attack. A mighty sucker punch came flying in from somewhere in the back. Soon as we could see clearly through our big black eye, man, we lit up your world like the 4th of July. Hey, Uncle Sam, put your name at the top of his list. And the Statue of Liberty started shaking her fist. And the eagle will fly, and it's gonna be here when you hear Friends in the morning, 77 WABC. Sitting on the doorstep of the house again to fall. I can feel you there. Thinking of a reason, well, it's really not very hard to love you. You're funny, Lou. This uh, song dates back to a conversation in the 6 o'clock hour. We're talking about John Lennon. This is John's son, Julian. What's the name of this song again? Valat. Valat. His son, Sean, is also a singer. Yes. He's a uh, tiger something. Uh, yeah. I think Julian's better. kind of like this song, Valat. Yeah, he had a good first record. It was that was it, though. Too Late for Goodbyes. Yes. Very He's good, Louis. He's Cynthia's kid. Right. Cynthia Lennon. Right, right. Very and good. Sean is Yoko's kid. You could do a show after Jim Kerr in two seconds, bro. Right there. Make this louder. Let me read this uh, text message from the great Tom Sullivan. 
course, uh, Michael's brother, Michael Sullivan, Brennan and Carr, Breezy, the whole thing. Tom's run for office twice. He's going to run again coming up next year. He won his last election, but Stacy Pfeiffer Amato cheated. That's right, Stacy. I know you're listening. You cheated. You cheated. Nepotism at its best. I see her at these events. She actually shows up with my friend Joanne. Joanne's a friend. She's a Republican. This uh, Stacy's a Democrat. But they show up together. This other uh, loser, Mercedes something or other. I don't even know. But uh, Stacy cheated. And uh, so she took the win from Tom. But he's going to run again. And hopefully this time she'll be able to cheat and he'll beat her. He writes, uh, your broadcast from Israel was phenomenal in every fashion. Quality of guests, content, and most important current event in the region. You have elevated yourself and the station and the value of talk radio. I'm glad you and the team are back safe. So. Yeah, I told John Katsimatidis he agreed. This was a grand slam for WABC. And I knew it would be. I mean, that was part of the self in the very beginning, that it wasn't just about Sid, the Jew, going to Israel. That was easy, you know. But I had to... um they don't have to convince them. I mean, John and Margot, they know the deal. They're great people, beautiful people. And they're not happy with what's going on around the world. So it didn't take convincing, but I certainly did make it very clear that I thought it would be a grand slam for ABC, and it was. A lot of radio hosts around the country do a lot of talking. Not a lot of them were in a bomb shelter last Friday. Right, Justin? Bottom Got line. That right. That was scary, that part, bro. A loud one at that. It was a loud bomb, man. I got kind of giddy, actually. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I was jumping up and down. I, I liked it after. I was unnerved yeah. for about a second. I ran out. I was like, you missed me. <laughs> yeah. Ava was very upset, and Gabe wasn't very happy either. <laughs> I'm right here. Try again. Yeah, you missed me. You were giddy. Idiot. I was giddy. No, I mean, it's funny because we were saying, it's, it's a weird thing. It's 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 morose, uh, it's morbid curiosity, I should say. Because all of us were actually hoping that we heard something or saw something. I mean, why go down to Gaza if you don't? Now, we don't want to see people hurt or dead or blood or all that stuff. I mean, but the truth is, that's why people go. They've got this morbid curiosity, and we wanted to hear something, and we weren't there for five minutes inside a bomb shelter when this thing shook all of our bodies. It was it was unnerving, yes, to, for sure. to say the least. To say the least, yeah. Entertaining and informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Jackson Brown, this is the third song we played today that was in the movie Forrest Gump, which I think was an accident. 
Andrew Giuliani just uh, walked in. He's uh, filling in for his father today, so Rudy going to be out. And the apple did not fall far from the tree. They're both uh, really smart guys, great guys, both dear, dear friends of mine. Andrew going to head down to um, Mar-a-Lago tomorrow and probably play golf with Trump Friday or Saturday. So check out Andrew Giuliani coming up today in his father's stead at 3 o'clock. Big show tomorrow, folks. Big. We've got Curtis, as always. He's amazing. He'll be with me later on tonight at the Rockaway Republican Club. Going to go see my friends Mary Glynn and Margaret Powers in that crew. Then we've got um, Thomas Kniff and Steve Razor. Kniff, of course, former serviceman, hero, representing Daniel Penny these days. He'll be live in studio. Bill O'Reilly coming on tomorrow, the biggest waiting segment of the week. There you go, Andrew. And Mike Francesa, Andrew. Mike Francesa coming on tomorrow at 8.15 to talk Super Bowl. How about that 8 o'clock hour? Francesa and O'Reilly. In the same hour. Oh, the two smart guys right there. But we're done for today. Put my mic on! Oh, come on now, Mikey! Uh, great job, Lewis. Great job as always. The Beatles stop again. The Beatles landed at Kennedy Airport 60 years ago today. First time they were in the United States. Two days later, they were on the Ed Sullivan Show. 60 years ago today. Thank you, Lewis. Justin Ellick, always great. Certainly, uh, you're great, Noam. Great job by Joe Nolan. Curtis Sliwa, we got a kick-ass crew right here, folks. It ain't just about me. It's mostly about me. Don't kid yourself. But the other guys do something, I guess. I don't know. You're going to take take a bodyguard out with you. Yeah. As my friend Gene would say, Jesus. God willing, we'll all be back tomorrow at 6 for a Thursday show. Until then, folks, from all of us, the whole crew, peace. It takes all night.